get it going. It's time to get up. Wilson is going to scramble now. Throw in zone. Touchdown, Metcalf. These guys are here to break it all down. This has been negotiated. It's over. Why are we talking about this with the footsteps to training camp approaching when we should be talking about the logistics of getting the players in, starting camp, and having a season. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend. This is the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski. TGIF, what's going on? How you doing, everybody? Rise and shine. It is Friday, November 20th, 35 days to Christmas. It's on like Donkey Kong. James Sabolski here. Perry Solkowski there. Greg Ballack on the other side of the glass, talking some SPORTS with you until 9 o'clock this morning here on your home of Vancouver Hockey, Sportsnet 650. How about that game last night there, Perry? I told you. I told you, and you did not listen to me. Yeah, you win some, you lose some. Um, listen, entertaining football game last night at Lumen Field. Uh, luminating, in a sense, if you're a Seahawks fan. I... I walked away thinking uh, neither of those teams are going deep in a playoff run. And I did hear Chris Walls and, and Pete Carroll giving it. Carlos Hyde did what they wanted. Throw Chris Carson, who's much better, on top of Carlos Hyde. Um, I'll give Seattle some credit. That offense is explosive, and they'll do so. I just think the defense isn't good enough, although they had their way with Kyler Murray and played better. But that's an entertaining football game. I like it. It's uh, made a good point. I think we are so used to the crowd noise now that's being pumped in. It's fun to watch, but it probably is. And I think Joe Buck referred to, man, it's so different. All those offensive lines. He goes, listen, like what you're hearing at home is not what these guys are hearing. It's quiet down there. Why they can't figure it out. I don't know, but full credit to the Seahawks. And as Walsey said, schedule's a little easier for the next couple of months coming in. So uh, they'll see some postseason football. And then, you know, the it'll be crazy. Oh, no, no. They'll play postseason in front of nobody there. You know, it's funny, though. Like, we've sat there and we've kicked around the Seahawks. And, hey, you know, and understandably so. They had lost three of their last four coming into uh, last night's game before finally delivering a W last night against the Cardinals. But Seattle's 7-3. and three. Right? Like, yeah. You know, you're, you're, you're in one breath, I, I hear what you're saying. Go, ah, neither team's going all that deep. Dude, it's the NFC. Right, you don't think that you don't think that Seattle in a in a one game uh, in a one game showdown against Brady and the Bucks, they, you don't think they can win that. You don't think that Seattle can beat the Packers on any given Sunday. You don't think that Seattle could beat the Saints. I mean, depending on the health of Drew Brees, like some of those teams might be better. You know, if you play the best of seven, it might be a different result. But just how flawed the NFC is this year. I mean, someone's going to win the NFC East. Like, someone's going to come out of the NFC East. Like, you could wind up getting on a deep run here in the NFC West. Oh, I, I don't disagree because what's going on in the NFC, I think we see the two best teams when the Rams take on the Bucks. Um, because I don't know what will happen with Drew Brees and, and where the Saints go with them. Maybe, maybe Taysom Hill, James Winston do something. And you've got Russell Wilson. And no matter where you're going to, if Pete Carroll says, hey, bring your best man to the gunfight, and he comes up with Russell Wilson, I was going, oh, man, they could be trouble. So they are. Full credit to him. Yeah, I think the expectations have been so high for this team when they do have a little bit of a funk like they were in, when they do get challenged like they were last night from these young up-and-comers and show up and play some good ball. 
you kind of go, okay, that's expected. And by the way, you ever see these commercials like with Tom Selleck and all that and older gentlemen just telling you what to do? Whenever Pete Carroll's done coaching, like he would be the ultimate pitch man, man. That guy just, the fountain of youth for that guy and the energy he has and you just go, okay, man, whatever you're selling, Pete, I'm buying. And that's why his football team's been successful. Yeah, he's going to be selling, uh, he's be doing those infomercials uh, for like, a, you know, hey, your, your own personal home catheter. Hey, you know, you're having problems. Uh, <laughs> get one well, of these. Tom, you ever see Tom Selleck? They run it all the time. Tom Selleck, yeah, reverse mortgage. You trust me. Uh, take your house and get the money you need now. Yeah, uh, Selleck came out of nowhere. Just, But I'm Tom Selleck. Trust me. I'm thinking, yeah, I guess, sure. You got a Ferrari. You didn't need a reverse mortgage. But tell people to take the money in their house and get it done. Well, I mean, it was Tommy Lasorda was the pitchman for Slim Fast for the longest time. Now, Tommy's 93, and good point. he's in hospital yes. this week, I think we heard. But, I mean, he's 93. Like, it's been a good run, and hopefully everything uh, works out for Tommy. But, I mean, Tommy was selling everything for the longest time, I, right? I forgot about that, Tommy Lasorda. I, but I can't remember. Here's my Tommy Lasorda story. So, he's, he's in some banquet in Edmonton. And they book off a ballroom, and you can have your interview time with Tommy Lasorda. Oh, my goodness. I had 20 minutes with that guy. And, and you know, we talk about it sometimes when you, you introduce yourself and they remember it. Oh, Perry, let me tell you. Perry, let me tell you. When I die, I want the Dodgers schedule on my tombstone. So when people come and visit me, they go, hey, the Dodgers are playing two today at Chavez. You know, he's got all these wonderful stories. I leave. And I swear to God, I thought if I brought the adoption papers, Tommy's adopting me. We hit it out so special. The next day, I uh, the paper comes in the morning. I read Camp Cole. Every line that Tommy Lasorda gave me, he gave Camp Cole. And I said, okay, that guy's got a game, man. He is good at what he does, and it's the same thing for everybody. Yeah, he owned Hollywood for a time, and there's, and there's clearly a reason for that. You know what I find? You know, you talk about commercials. What I find funny, and watching that NFL game last night, how many commercials have the COVID-19 disclaimer saying this was filmed before COVID-19, right? There's Anna yeah. Kendrick dancing and singing with Lay's chips and a big mass gathering around the table and outside and having the party. And it's like film before COVID-19. There's Sidney Crosby and Nate McKinnon pulling up at a Tim Hortons looking for some hockey cards, right? Film before COVID-19. Like everybody's covering their ass right now with their, com even with commercials, Right. I mean, it's just like, hey, just so you know, you know, you know, they're not well, wearing masks here because this was filmed a year ago. BC used to mean before Christ. Now it's uh, before COVID, right? <laughs> That's, uh, BC. When was this BC? You know, it was after BC. Oh, okay, 2022. Yeah, and in a year from now, yeah, and in a year from now, AD will be replaced with AV after vaccine, right? Yes, there's going to be a lot of <laughs> a lot of cinemas. People are going to have to know as to hey, what's going on. But. We we've we've dumped on the Seahawks D all year, and how about last night, man? Like they like that was the best performance of the season. And in fairness, like they were pretty good against the Rams. They only gave up 23 against the Rams last Sunday. But they limited Kyler Murray to 15 yards on the ground. They limited the NFL's newest and hottest lethal weapon to 15 yards rushing for the game and a total of 57 for the Cardinals. They dropped Murray three times. You know, Carlos Dunlap, I mean, you were a fan of this deal for the Hawks, man. Two sacks last night. And they were rested. Seattle's offense dominating possession last night. 
by 10 minutes last night on the possession clock. Uh, you know, as as much as both you and I were different in who we thought, I thought, you know, I think Arizona might, this is their chance. And we had our friend, Fox NFL, and it's Brock Heward on. He goes, man, I just, I look forward to watching Kyler Murray. He is so quick and we were so excited to see it. And it wasn't there. And I know during the telecast, they were talking a lot about his arm and yeah, they were working on it. Well, that's not his legs. I think what you do see is Russell Wilson, made some poor decisions over the last month. And that's been a long time since we've seen it. It just looked like last night went in a box. Kyler Murray still looked like a quarterback who doesn't have loads of NFL experience and didn't feel the pressure at the right time, didn't go at the right time. So for that team in Arizona to be successful, I think he's got a gap about 40 or 50 yards. He's got to give that threat. Uh, it's interesting to see, and, and they did a good job yesterday, Troy Aikman, and you've got DK Metcalf and DeAndre Hopkins. Like, well, I, To me, those guys got to be targeted seven, eight times a game just for the fact that, hey, if they don't catch it and there's a flag, that's what happens. That's how Seattle got one of their touchdowns. Yeah. But, yeah, the defense showed up for the Seahawks when they needed it against a guy that most people feel can't be contained, and they did it in a big way yesterday. Um, you know, somebody made a great point on uh, on social media late in the game, and just how kind of the Cardinals. There, were, I think there were a few things you'd probably want to do over. Um, some people take an issue with the challenge, and I, I get trying to go for it just in that moment. But you look at how. What does somebody say? They said giving Cliff Kingsbury the opportunity to run this Cardinals offense is like giving the keys of a Ferrari to a teenager. Right. Like, you know, I, you could have that, that ball could have been moved like you're almost at midfield with a buck forty five to go. Like, you know, I don't know. I, I just I didn't love the way the Cardinals finished. I think that game, I, I think, like you said, I think there was a reason why you like the Cardinals. They'd been on a roll. Um, I mean, that game was there for them. Right. But yeah, uh, you give credit to the Seahawks, Steve. But at the same time, like they uh I think they kind of shot themselves in the foot, kind of like you were talking about, Larry Fitzgerald, DeAndre Hopkins, you know, Kyler. Like, there's some weapons there. Yeah, I, listen, I, I think Clint, uh, Cliff Kingsbury's got a good football team and a good football mind for what they have there. Um, but how long do they last there? Larry Fitzgerald, it's unbelievable how long he's been able to play and still be effective. But I think that's a learning process, too. I mean, the Arizona Cardinals have been a laughing stock for a long time. Um, Kyler Murray, a lot of people wondered, is that the right thing to do? And then they pushed him into the role last year. You know, okay. And now they've seemed, seemed to get better. They're not there yet. I don't think they've got enough pressure from their defensive line, but I think experience won out yesterday. And at the end of the day, you take everything away. go, okay, Russell Wilson against a younger kid, maybe a guy who would pattern himself against Russell shouldn't be there yet. And as I used your wrestling reference, it kind of could be the undertaker. No, no, there's, they're not putting dirt on them yet. They came up and they did exactly that last night in Seattle. Uh, here's what we got coming up over the next three hours here on this Friday morning. Steve uh, Rapp from Sports Interactions Inside the Lines is going to join us uh, in just a few minutes, try to pick you some winners and get you paid this weekend in the National Football League uh, from Sports Interactions Inside the Lines. We'll also play Stat Me Up with Scott Brown from Fifth Avenue Real Estate and Marketing coming up at 645. The new assistant general manager, Brett Anderson, who made history uh, earlier this week, uh, recognized as the first uh, African-American or black uh, executive in the National Hockey League, will join us. Uh, 
uh, coming up just after 7 o'clock. And then we'll uh, be joined by Mark Spector uh, in Edmonton. We'll uh, dive into the offseason of the Oilers and look ahead to their upcoming season on your Canucks commute coming up just after 8 o'clock. The Dunbar Lumber text line always open for business, 650-650. And uh, at Sportsnet 650 is where you can also find us on Twitter as well. Uh, Six years ago today, Pear, a little bit of a milestone for uh, the Vancouver Canucks, particularly their captain, when this happened on this day in 2014. Down the left side, tried to drop the puck, Dorsett picks it up, centers, Horvat scores! First career goal for Bull Horvat. And Bull Horvat starts this play, and then Zach Cassian does most of the work along the boards. And Bo Horvat, like all good natural goal scorers, knows exactly where to go after he makes the play. Six years ago, man, time flies. The kid's all grown up now as he's captain of the team, but there's Bo's first on this day back in 2014, man. Did did Cheech say Zach Cassian did the work along the boards? <laughs> I think that might have been a glitch. Yeah, I... I um... Hey, Bo Horvat is a young man who I think, in my mind, uh, wants wants to be penciled in. I go back. Remember, James, was it two years ago that the NHL kind of had their superstars? They all meet for their media time when when life is normal in New York prior to the season. Get your pictures taken. Do some stuff for the television networks. And and we got a hold of Bo uh, really just outside a hotel going on a bus, right? And, And he... We kind of said, hey, who do you think? Oh, man, I could talk to Sidney Crosby. And at that time, Bo was going, I don't know. Do I belong with these kind of superstars? I think he needed to convince himself that he could be a bona fide NHL. And I use the term superstar, but boy, he showed us some nights in the playoffs where he can be that guy. I just like how he has changed his game from what would have been his first goal on this day six years ago to um, where he is now. He's a better skater. I still think he could hit people and be a little tougher. He's a big guy, too. But I just like how he has worked at his game, and I think he's been a good guy to set an example where you go, okay, Brock, work on your game, get better. I think Brock has done that. Um, you know, the one guy they were hoping that it would be contagious to would be Jake for 10. It hasn't happened yet. But I like the work ethic that he has, giving him the C and letting him take the responsibility. He's filled in nicely to what I think the aspirations were when they made the deal for him. He's 25. I mean, he'll turn 26 midway through the season if and when uh, cooler heads do prevail based on what we've learned this week about the National Hockey League and their ass to the players and escrow and that dirty E word again. Um, And so (laughs) there's a little bit of that. I, I do wonder this, though. You go back to that story from two years ago. Was Bo effectively the placeholder in that moment for the Canucks? Is is he going to be one of those guys, or is that Petey and Hughes' spot now going forward to be your face of the Vancouver Canucks? Well, he was the placeholder. It's what do we have around here. He's our guy, but I think when you get that, and I don't want to say by default, but yes, I don't know. If they're calling one guy now, they're not calling Bo, and I think he's the type of guy that's okay with that. Because he doesn't need the spotlight. I don't think he wants the spotlight. He's like a Mark Shifley. You know, you don't think of superstars and you think of Mark Shifley, but then you go, man, this guy can play. He loves the game. He's good with his teammates. And I think that fits Bo better than the spotlight and the superstar in the stages. Yeah, I don't I don't think he's a... I, 
look, I, there's a lot to like about Bo, but I don't think he's a franchise guy, right? Like if Bo Horvat is your best player on your team, then he might be the hardest working on the team, but if he's the best player on your team, you probably don't have a very good team. And I don't think that's, you know, and it's not necessarily saying no, it's that not slight. he's bad, but it's just like there's there's a ceiling to Bo Horvat's game compared to where you feel when you look at what we've just seen in the first two seasons from Elias Pettersson and even after one year from Quinn Hughes, you feel like those respective ceilings are, in the words of Russell Wilson, unlimited, right? Like, I mean, you feel like there is a much greater. So we ask you this, like, do you, like, we're asking you this morning on our Sportsnet 650 Twitter poll question, do you expect Bo Horvat to score at a 30-goal pace in the upcoming season? And right now, 60% say yes, 40% say no. Like, over under 30 goals for Bo Horvat this season. What are you taking? I'm probably going under. Yeah, I'm going under, too. I think he's around that 25, 26, 27. But that's fair. And, and I, I completely agree with you that, okay, Bo is not this team's superstar. But if we were to take a vote when it was all wrapped up in the middle of September and go, all right, we have a little version of a consummate trophy for each individual team. Is Bo Horvat not in that conversation as to who the best player was for the Canucks in the bubble in their playoffs? There were some nights where Bo Horvat had his best hockey ever. You know, holy smokes, this guy's good, right? Now, he might not have won it. You might have went, oh, Demko wins it with his little player. Quinn Hughes was great all along. But Bo Horvat always has to be in that conversation. He doesn't have to win it. He doesn't have to be the sparkling light. But Bo Horvat can ill afford to disappear with this hockey team. He's got to be the constant in the who had a great night. Oh, Bo was good again, as Bo always is, right? Quinn, Quinn Hughes can have a three or four point night. Petey can have a three or four point night. But Bo has to be that constant engine, always rubbing, always getting guys going. And you need that if you're going to be successful. Well, he also has to be, you know, he's he deals with the heavy lifting comparatively to what. Yes. You know, you look at like, you know, Pedersen, you expect him to go out and score goals, right? And he's going to deal with matchups from you know, from more elite defenders on other teams where Bo's kind of not only do you expect Bo to try to get you 25, 25 or more goals over the course of the season, but on a lot of nights, Travis Green's looking at Bo saying, dude, go stop that other guy, that other lethal weapon out there on the ice. And that's where, hey, look, 10 goals in the playoffs, though. And I think that's your point where you go, you know, you saw that there were points that he took over and stepped up with some big goals and clutch moments in the postseason. 17 games they played in the postseason, and Bo had 10 goals in that. He only had two assists, but he had 10 goals, Pear. Like, that's that's something. Well, Ian McIntyre talked about the five minutes Oleo Levy played in the postseason, how that's helped him. Listen, Bo Horvat dominating and what he has known, and he had a taste of it his rookie year as the toughest hockey, playoff hockey, and dominating some games. Trust me, I think when we see him again in January, there's more confidence with Bo Horvat, and he may be – he could text us now, Bo, if you're listening, 650, 650, go, I can get 35 when we play 82 games. Uh, and that's the belief you want, that he still thinks he's got a long ways to go as far as getting better and helping this team. Uh, 19 minutes after 6 o'clock here on this uh, Friday morning, we'll catch up with uh, Steve Rapp from Sports Interactions inside the lines here to pick some winners uh, in uh, this week in the National Football League. Uh, we'll try to connect with Steve uh, momentarily. But um, th- that's uh, – you went 9-1 and one last week? Is that right? I was great, and uh, I'm 0-1 starting this week. 
And here's what I'm thinking, and I'll have to see what Steve has to say. I'm thinking from the little chips that I make, and they've built nicely over this first, what are we, nine or ten weeks into it, that I, I'm not going to push all my chips in the table, but I think the Super Bowl champs are blowing out, blowing out the Raiders. I love Andy Reid and oh, they drove the bus around the stadium a couple times. I wouldn't do that. That a week to prepare. I think I might just be the craziest thing and just go, listen, this has been a fun run. My money's turned into something. I'm going 70, 80% of what I've done and throwing it on the Chiefs. I don't know if rap feels the same way, but that's the one game where I just think, man, I think there's a blowout coming. Felt it with Tampa Bay last week, thinking that the Super Bowl champs do it again this week. Well, let's bring him in. Steve Rapp of Sports Interactions inside the lines with three winners for us. Hopefully, no pressure, Steve, but we want to win. We like getting paid too. How are you, man? I'm good, and yeah, I, I think that uh, I have to agree with uh, Perry there that I think that uh, Kansas City should blow them out. Problem is, if you can find a line on it anywhere, because all of the Vegas size, you know, yeah. the line is under COVID protocol, and and we found in a couple situations uh, the last couple of weeks, they can say, yeah, yeah, they're doing Zoom meetings, and they're doing this, and they're doing that. If you're not practicing, you're not doing anything. So, yeah, it... it if you can find a line, it'll be interesting to see what it comes up at. I mean, it's we're sitting at seven. I don't think that we're going to see seven when we see this number again, uh, whenever it does come up. Yeah, that's the thing, Steve. You kind of wait as long as you can, but you also think, man, if you can play them early because you never know what the week's going to be. How late can they go before they fire up a line? Like, what, what's the norm in Vegas? I've, I've seen them wait until Saturday afternoon to put something up. You know, they're going to put a number up because obviously by Sunday we know who's going to play. But, I mean, in, in the uh, you know, Detroit-Carolina situation, you got two quarterbacks. You really don't know what ha- what's happening. Matty Stafford, you see no line on that. Uh, you see uh, no line on Kansas City. Vegas, as we're talking about. Um, we got the injuries in Denver. We don't know. We don't have a line on that. So, I mean, finding games this week were kind of interesting because throughout the week there were so many games that didn't have lines on them. So, But usually by Saturday afternoon. But like I said, as it's like today, a perfect example last week. I lost on Cleveland last week, and I said it when I did the spot that this number was three. It's leaked to three and a half. Be careful. Of course, on the Nick Chubb run out of bounds, which was the right move, I lost there. Two games that I'm doing today, I, did their, I wrote them up last night. Um, by this morning, the number's already gone against me. So the earlier you can get in, and a, and a rule to go by are, are professionals take the dog, sharp uh, uh, public take the favorite. So the early, if you like the favorite, get it early because the public's going to move it up. If you like the dog, wait till later because the sharps just before the sharps grab it and knock it back down. Okay, so uh, let, let's get into these. Uh, where do you want to start here for your first selection of making us, uh, you know, helping us pay for Christmas this year? All right. Well, Philadelphia and Cleveland, just like I talked about Cleveland last week, I missed the, the best of number. It cost me. The number went against me last night again. But you know what? You really can't buy any lower on these the Philadelphia Eagles than right now, and I'm buying in. Public disagrees. The early line was Browns minus two. We now sit Browns minus three, as three and a half was bought last night. I'm going to jump in, take the field goal. 
The Browns just came off two very bad weather games. They still managed to give up over 27 points per game, putting them near the bottom of the league. This game also calls for some bad weather, which makes it a running game, and the Browns are 27th in the league in defending the run. Miles Sanders had a decent game last week in his return, and with that under his belt and the offensive line continuing getting healthier, he could see some success. Zach Ertz also returns for the Eagles team that's been competitive against better than this. I mean, it's tough to go to the window with any NFC East team right now, but the Eagles came out very flat after the bye against the, in a big divisional game last week. This one kind of seems like that real good buy low spot where we could see a bounce back against the Cleveland team, which really isn't that good, guys. Uh, I'm going to bet on a bounce back here, and I'm taking Philadelphia plus the three points. Ooh. Uh, New Orleans and Atlanta, in a normal situation, this would be a breeze for New Orleans. Oh, I see what you did there. Uh, That's creativity on a Friday morning. There you go. Working early. Working early. Listen, uh, I'm going to tell you what uh, Drew Brees and Jameis Winston are worth in the point spread. Jameis Winston takes the reins for a few weeks in New Orleans. Odds makers give him two and a half points off the line. Open seven with Brees. Now no Brees. It was four and a half. Again, a number that moved against me last night. It's now four. Uh, This is an interdivisional rivalry that always has surprises. Uh, Falcons have actually won outright three of the last six visits to New Orleans. Atlanta comes out of their bye getting healthier. Calvin Ridley getting more time to heal his injured foot. Atlanta shockingly still alive in the playoff race, and they're quietly 3-1 and one since firing Dan Quinn. Their run, run defense has actually been one of the best in the league in the last month, and they have traditionally held Elvin Kamara below his averages. Actually, Kamara has not scored a touchdown in his last six meetings with Atlanta. We also look at Patty's at Statty Ryan uh, success against the Saints. In the last four games, he has over, averaged over 311 yards passing, just under three touchdowns per game. I like Atlanta plus four here, and guys, I'm going to sprinkle a little of the money line on that on Sunday morning as well at about at about plus 185. Put a little sprinkle on that as well. Okay, uh, so there you go. That's two in the books right now. Fascinating matchup on Sunday where an Indianapolis Colts team. Better than I think most anticipated. They get it done with defense. Phil Rivers still getting it done offensively as well. They come in at two-point favorites right now on the Packers. I guess you can find it at one and a half uh, on some lines as well. How do you see this one playing out? Yeah, well, this this number has jumped the fence early due to the sharp money hitting the Colts, and I think that's just wrong. Pack, Pack open is a two-and-a-half-point road favorites, and the line now sits Indy minus one-and-a-half. Public is on Green Bay, so this is really a pros versus Joes. And I'm going to be a Joe on this one, guys. First of, first of all, guys, it's well known that I have a gambling nemesis, and his name is Philip Rivers. So by fading him, fantasy owners may now well be feeling a very nice sense of warmth. Um, <laughs> I think we're getting the better team plus the points. Green Bay scoring close to 32 points per game on the road this season. Put them inside a controlled surface like Indy. That number rises to 38 points a game. They've covered four of their last five on the road, five of their last seven as dogs. Packers failed to cover last week, and that's good because when they failed to cover the next 12 games following non-cover, 12-0 and 0 against the spread, Ronsers and Devontae Adams really in sync. And once they get rolling on a fast track, I don't see an aging shot putting statue on the other side keeping up with a 28th-ranked rushing attack behind them. Now, I do understand that Devontae Adams hasn't practiced much all week, and he is questionable. Uh, I believe he will play if he plays. This bet is on. If he doesn't play, this number won't be this. And, you know, do what you think is right when you see that Devontae Adams is going to play. I think he will play. And I hate Philip Rivers. 
It's funny. I have, we good. have a thing on the show, Inside the Line, Sunday morning, where I see my sports interactions with George and Dave. And George and Dave think that Philip Rivers is going to make it to the Hall of Fame. And I say that he is just a, a product of the era that he played in. And that if he ever gets into the Hall of Fame, that I'm going to drive them, take them for a nice weekend to see him get inducted. Because I know I'm never going to have to pay that back. Thoughts? <laughs> like, I don't see well, it's it like guys yeah. playing hockey in the 80s and 90s put up a lot of goals and maybe he's the Dave Andrewchuk of the NFL is that what you're telling us thank you yeah yes I, I say I believe that he is a product of the era when you had to throw it around and he could throw it around but he hasn't won anything of significance he's never done anything in the playoffs he's an average quarterback an average record sure he threw away around a lot of yards but it's a product of the area that he was in, and he does not. He's not going off. That all that being said, lines him up perfectly to put a stake through my heart, like he always does. <laughs> <laughs> Don't sit on the fence. Tell us how you really feel, there, Steve. Uh, have a great weekend, buddy. <laughs> have a great weekend, and uh, I'm a hundred percent with you on the Phil Rivers take as well. Uh, there he is, Steve uh, Rapp from Sports Thanks, Interactions Steve. Inside the Lines here on Sportsnet 650. You can catch it kicking off Sunday mornings at 7 a.m. Uh, here on Sportsnet 650. All right, 28 minutes after uh, eight o'clock or uh, six o'clock. I uh, wishful thinking on my part. Coming up in a <laughs> oh, moment, <that'd> <laughs> it would be amazing. Uh, MLS playoffs kick off, and guess who's not there? We'll get into that with Seaball says next right. Here on your home of the Canucks, Sports at 650. This is the starting lineup with Jim Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. Oh, here's a nice little flashback Friday. Do you remember how massive this was in the early 90s? Uh, no, you would have been on a dance floor more than I would have been. 100%. Oop, there it is. Come on. Yeah. Hold on, Parrot. Let it breathe. Anybody in the car right now? You're just feeling that. There we go. Uh, how Edwards. often, though, how often doing sportscasts, and I'm a little older than you are, yeah. but did you use that in voiceover highlights? Yeah, and comes to the plate. It was a 3 2 ninth inning, and check it out. Whoop, there it is. Home run, it's up, right? Yeah. That and how often I use can't touch this when a player was being struck out. I think you took the music. Yeah, and, and just like it make is, it man. and make it the whitest saying possible in a highlight when you like you no know, sell it, right? And uh, bottom of the ninth inning, Joe Carter at the dish, runner on it. Whoop, there it is. Right? Like no, yeah. not even not even putting any emphasis in it, but like Whoop, there it is. As like in the most classic sports guy thing possible. As iconic as boom goes the dynamite. <laughs> and boom goes the dynamite. Well done, Valak. Well done, buddy. <laughs> Ready to go. Hey, how about this? How about this like life in the NBA to life in hockey? Uh a great stat from Cap Friendly last night, uh putting this out on social media. But uh New York Rangers first overall pick, Alex Lafreniere. They gave him a max entry-level contract deal that totals to be about $11.3 million, and only just over a half a million dollars of that is guaranteed. All right? That's the signing bonus and minor league salary. It's like only a half a million dollars of that, being the first overall pick in the National Hockey League, is guaranteed money. To which, two nights ago, 
Anthony Edwards goes first overall by the Minnesota T-Wolves. He's going to sign a max rookie deal worth $44 million, and 20 of that is guaranteed. You want to know what the difference is being a first overall pick between the NBA and a first overall pick in the NHL? About $19.5 million in terms of guaranteed money in your ELC. It was hammered home for me during the Mark Messier years here in Vancouver when people would, you know, not to the extent they are with Louis Erickson, Louis making his $6 million. Well, Mess was making five here in Vancouver, and people were just, oh, biggest waste of money. And then Big Country would walk by down in the caverns of Rogers Arena, GM Place, that one. Like, that guy's making twice as much as, as Mess is, right? You look at it. You look at the best players in the NHL. We're going, man, those $10 million days are gone. Taylor Hall, take that one-year deal. Mitch Marnie, you got your 10 mil. You know, that's it. And you're talking with the elite of the elite. And then two days ago, to keep a BP, BC perspective, Kelly Olenek uh, exercises his option. The BC Kamloops raised Miami Heat, not even starting. He exercised that option, and he will get his $13.6 million to play in Miami next year. Different world, man, in the NBA and in the NHL. Uh, Connor McDavid's the highest-paid player in the NHL and still makes less than that. For a guy who's maybe. M- like maybe fifth or sixth on the Heat roster in terms of most most important on that team, right? Yeah. Yeah, Bench that's, player. That's the number. Good for Kelly, though, man. Shout out to Kamloops. Uh, let's get into this morning's edition of Seaball Says. Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking. I have to I'm speaking. Out. He never met a soapbox he didn't like. Seaball Says on Sportsnet 650. The 2020 edition of the MLS playoffs kick off tonight. Never mind, it's been no two weeks since the season wrapped in case you wanted to build any momentum. But nevertheless, here we are. And once again, the Whitecaps are missing from the chase for the MLS Cup. Bueller. 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 Since joining Major League Soccer, the Caps have made it to the postseason four times. And in that time, they've won a single game in that span. Think about that for a moment. One playoff win in 10 seasons. We tend to ridicule franchises that inept. But it's our own, so we kind of sheepishly try to ignore it. This is a soccer market, though. We are a diverse landscape with thousands of kids and adults playing footy all year long. But somehow, some way. The Whitecaps have found a way to serve themselves up one giant collective red card for how mismanaged they've been. We rip on Jim Benning for his personnel decisions. Ask yourself, what is the greatest moment in Vancouver Whitecaps history since joining MLS? Have a think. I'll I'll let you guys have a moment. It's probably selling Alfonso Davies to Bayern Munich two years ago. Selling a player for cash should not be a defining moment for a franchise, but sadly, it is. I'm rich, bitch! This is a franchise that just can't seem to get out of their own way. They fired their first coach, Titor Thordeson, to 12 games into their inaugural season. Yeah! Fire! By the way, 
One of the all-time great names, though. They refuse to play. They refuse to pay their most electric star. Camille, absolutely sensational. My oh goodness. yeah. And then the club also proclaimed that they had held a global search to find a new CEO, and they brought in Mark Panis at the start of this year. And guess what? He parted ways six months into a four-year contract. Screw you! You're fired! 2020 was a weird year for all of us, and the Whitecaps had a challenging time making things work, having to play away from Vancouver. But both Toronto and Montreal found themselves in the same scenario, and guess what? They both found a way to make the postseason. Now the Caps are at another point of trying to figure out the next step. Soccer director Alex Schuster, Axel Schuster, was hired a year after coach Mark DeSanto. So now you have a boss who inherited his sideline manager. In essence, MDS isn't exactly Alex uh, Axel's guy. Damn autocorrect. So now what? The Whitecaps are almost like that elderly woman from that infomercial all those years ago. I've fallen and I can't get up. The reality is this. The Whitecaps have already blown a massive opportunity to gain a foothold in this market when they fumbled a half decade away during the Canucks rebuild. This should have been an anthem once again in these parts. This sports town is a one-trick pony and could have jumped on board a playoff run, but here we are in a town where selling out most of the lower bowl at BC Place is a win, while 40,000 fans routinely show up just two or three hours south of us here in Seattle. Caps could have been one of the hottest tickets in town, and instead it's been a train wreck of an organization that seems to be content to being a minnow in Major League Soccer. I haven't heard that song for a while, so I wanted to play. Um, <laughs> he, here's the deal. Uh, do I disagree with you or not? Now, if, if people don't know, I was on board with the Whitecaps and their telecast right from that first Empire Field walking in on a gorgeous March Saturday afternoon. Russell Tybert in the lineup at 18. Toronto in town and part of the broadcast crew for five years. I worked for the Whitecaps for a year doing stuff for them. Uh, I travel with the team. And, and to be honest, James, as close to an organization as ever, I was allowed in the players lounge. I hung out there. Gosh, thanks for all the free meals. You know, the guys would come off the pitch. I do my interviews. I'd, I'd grab a meal with them. So it's as close as I've ever been to an organization when Carl Robinson was running it. So, uh, that being said, right, people that I have relationships for and respect, it was the hottest ticket in town for a couple of years. They did create the the best atmosphere in Vancouver when the Canucks were trying to find their footing. But it has been a real tough run for the last couple of years. I am inundated with white cap stuff, paraphernalia. And stuff that I didn't wear last year because I didn't like what was going on off the field when they had some issues. They've made a lot of mistakes and they've been successful with their brand outside of Vancouver and in the prairies with academies. But this is a monumental season coming up. And I know you can be upset and people might be upset about what they did last year. But, man, I just think you can just put an eraser through 2020 
and go, you weren't here. But they missed the plot. I think they could have put 40,000 in there in this last run that they've had in the last nine years at some point because they had the fan base. They just didn't have the courage to do it, and they were happy with 20,000, 20,000, 20,000. As long as they got 20,000, it was good. They needed to think bigger, and they didn't, and now they're starting to rebuild right from the stretch. But they've had their moments. You had that great call, Camilo. That was our boss, Craig McEwen. There's been other spectacular moments from Whitecaps and plays too, you know. Page Morales plays it to Kakuta Manny. He'll go one-on-one -on -one with Yara. Will he take him on? He does, and he's by him. Kakuta Manny. He's looking to play another ball. Let the shot go. Top of the 18. Posted in. Kakuta Manny. What a goal. Whitecaps counter and take a 2-1 lead. You know the best part of that uh, goal call that I was calling the game in Philadelphia? I had a great Philly cheesesteak after. That's Pats all. or Geno's? And that's what it boils down to. What do you remember about that night? Oh, my God, I had a great Philly cheesesteak. <laughs> nice call, there man. There you go. Good energy. <laughs> Bring back Perry as a voice, too, of the Whitecaps. Uh, 645. You know, another place that did a game, was at, uh, which was great, um, and I spent more time looking around it, was at Foxborough. I got in there earlier and just walked around the press box and rocked around the stadium. So much stuff for the Patriots. But, yeah, thank you. That was the old days. Stat Me Up's next on Sportsnet 650. Grab your calculators because it's time to stat me up on the starting lineup. Here's James Sabolski, Perry Solkowski, and the million-dollar man, Scott Brown. All right, 10 minutes to 7 o'clock. Sabolski, Solkowski, and Fifth Avenue Real Estate Marketing's our million-dollar man, Scott Brown. Let's get right into this. My number this morning, 764. Clay Thompson, I'm going to repeat that, 37 in a quarter. Oh, man, just awful news yesterday that Clay Thompson suffered a tear in his right Achilles. He's going to miss an another entire season for Golden State. Now, get this. Since Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green all became teammates, the Warriors have a 764 winning percentage when they all play. That is the best winning percentage by a trio in NBA history with a minimum of 400 games played. Think about that. Like, Jordan's had some pretty good runs, right? The Lakers in the Showtime era were pretty good, but no trio has ever had a better winning percentage since Steph, Clay, and Draymond became teammates. 764 winning percentage. That's my number this morning, guys. Scotty, what do you got for a number this morning, buddy? Well, let's go three squared or nine. Marked him at the 11. Wilson sets up and zone and caught by Lockett for the touchdown. That still puts a smile on my face. Yesterday I was all yeah. nervous. Russell Wilson, three squared, nine and O games following a two-game losing streak. He has never lost three consecutive games in a row, and I was—I had the nervous Seahawks twitch watching that game last night. Career avoidance, uh, big win, 7-3. Kyler Murray in a card, right? Put them on the shelf for one night anyway. Uh, so they're in the lead, but I believe that's going to depend on what happens Monday night with the Rams and Tom Brady. If they, if they can knock off uh, the Rams, I think they hold that. I think otherwise they might actually be either tied or drop to second because the Rams have the head-to-head -head matchup. But it's going to be an interesting Week 11, and I think it was off to a good start. Yeah. I needed that stat, Scotty, to last morning before I decided, I think Arizona's winning. Hey, my number, guys, 1926. It's over, and the Cubs have finally 
CenturyLink was not CenturyLink yesterday. If you didn't know, it is now called Lumenfield because the technology company has changed their name. So I look back into naming rights. And going back, 1926, essentially where most people point to, Wrigley Field, owned by the Wrigley family with Wrigley Gum, naming their field Wrigley, was the first time that you can go, hey, this is for a business. And the naming rights back to 1926. I, I'm just waiting. Scotty, I'm, I'm just waiting for one of those moments that when you uh, the Seahawks are at home, and you know for an intro, and how they do the buildups for the NFL broadcast. Maybe you get Seinfeld to drop a hello, Lumen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I, someone gave that to me Thank yesterday, you, buddy. Else, I would give you oh, more props, really? but I heard that yesterday. Okay, fine. It's good though. Yep. Scotty, what about real so, estate numbers? Well, I'm going to get to that right away. I mean, the only thing I keep thinking about is that Philly cheesesteak. Although there's got to be foods like Philly cheesesteak <laughs> that if somebody told you you had to eat that at 530 in the morning, you probably wouldn't want to. <laughs> but it sounds good still. But yeah, I, I would. It right now. Sounds like oh, a great idea. Yeah, it's, it's you know, Philly cheesesteak time somewhere. Anyway, real estate stat. Geez, we're almost down to 40-some days left in the year. And... Uh, I'm getting asked a lot as a result, including with, you know, the recent sort of, you know, concerns about COVID and lockdown and second wave, third wave. I'm getting asked a lot this time of year to write articles and talk and talk to different people about what, looking back, what surprises me, looking ahead, what should we expect? So what we're expecting is, and doing a bit of research, the national real estate market in Canada uh, from being way down in March is going to improve by about 9% over 2019's results. So it's kind of like falling off a cliff and then rapidly climbing the other side of the cliff and getting back up on the other side. Um, so we expect the new market, the same thing, to finish probably just shy or at about 10,000 new sales, which if we didn't have COVID, everybody would say that's a good year, a good recovery year. It's on its way back up to probably 12,000. Um, so what I do think, and I'm talking to different people, is that with what's going on with COVID, and ironically, as much as we've kind of gone to full masks two weeks ago at our sales centers ahead of this, um, and just said to everybody, look, you know, this is just what we've got to do. Um, the, the, the people are still showing up or still have needs and are still buying. So it's been interesting. You know, this week is not the sales results we're posting and some of the resale results I see don't reflect what's going on with respect to the increase in cases. But we do expect a slower start, and most people, including economists, expect the second half of next year to be particularly uh, you know, strong and accelerating recovery. But they think with the winter and the potential of a third wave in some countries and just some general anxiety, unless you're doing something super affordable, the start of the year is going to be a little slow, and then they think it's going to accelerate. Obviously, the second quarter could, you know, doesn't have to do much to be better than last year's second quarter because it was dismal because we were all locked down. Uh, but generally, most of the people I'm talking to, their outlook is still relatively favorable. Um, their only concern is that the people most impacted still, unfortunately, aren't necessarily people that can afford housing. They need people that need help affording their rent. And that's this COVID has really hit the lowest income producers very, very hard. Yeah, there's uh, we've seen some places mm -hmm. in certain parts of the country that have been hit. You know, they've got higher uh, you know, positivity rates for COVID than, than some parts of America as well. And yeah. that's here in Canada. So uh, yeah. good I was, surprised, I was surprised about one thing real quick. Like they shut down those borders in the Atlantic coast. And then somebody asked me last night before the football game, they said, how do they police that? And I was like, 
we could lock our border down, but there's no staff there. It's not like U.S. border. I they got the trailer park boys right at the uh, Confederation Bridge. They're just standing there. <laughs> there you just, go. like shaking it down. Ricky and Bubbles and uh, yeah. just uh, get the hell out of here. So uh, everybody have a good weekend at home by yourself with a couple people you live with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. All set. All right. Thanks, Cuddy. See you, Boy, if there was ever a time to stock up at a liquor store there, Pear. Uh, yeah, yeah, that, this would be it. And it's going to be terrible weather too. So, Hey man, just batten down the hatches as they've said, never understood that, but that's the weekend we have in front of us. All right. Three minutes to seven o'clock coming up in the uh, seven o'clock hour. I uh, made headlines across the hockey world this week when he was named the assistant general manager with the Florida Panthers, Brett Anderson. Join us next right here on Sportsnet 650. <laughs> Let's get it going. It's time to get up. Wilson is going to scramble now. Throw in zone. Touchdown, Metcalf. These guys are here to break it all down. This has been negotiated. It's over. Why are we talking about this with the footsteps to training camp approaching when we should be talking about the logistics of getting the players in, starting camp, and having a season. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend. This is the starting lineup with James Sobolski and Perry Solkowski. All right, four minutes after 7 o'clock here on this Friday morning. A uh, reminder that this hour of the starting lineup is a presentation of Dunbar Lumber. The smart alternative Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner, Arbuta Street in Vancouver, or check them out online at Dunbar Lumber. He's Perry Solkowski. I'm James Sabolski. Brett Anderson, the new uh, assistant general manager of the Florida Panthers, is going to join us here in just a couple minutes, Pear. As um, a lot of reports coming down over the last uh, few days here, uh, and our Sportsnet hockey insider, Elliot Friedman, has been all over this story about uh, salary deferrals, rising escrow, disgruntled players, nervous odors. We just want to see some hockey games, but there are some T's to cross, some I's to dot, some money to talk about, and it sounds like they're finally having this conversation. Uh, it's pressure, and I know this week was started with positive, then Elliot reporting the negativity uh, that the players felt when they are talking about more deferred money. Listen, this is unlike anything else. It's not a mistrust with the owners. It's a fact that the whole world is in right now. And I just don't see, we heard that clip prior to, there's no way out for the players. Like, what is your option? Uh, we're not playing. Really? Okay, see you later. You want to get paid? Eddie Jovanovsky said it. Hey, man, these guys are skating in Florida. We'll go there momentarily. Uh, money's better than no money. And that essentially is their option right now for the players. But they're going to have to figure it out shortly because the calendar is ticking. You said it the other day. You got your countdown clock on 35 days till Christmas. So let's add, what, six more? 41 days until what Gary Bettman hopes is the start of an NHL season. Here's uh, Elliot Friedman uh, this morning on our sister station, uh, the, the Fan 590 in Toronto, uh, as the players might be receptive to another deferral after taking some time to cool off after the Wednesday proposal from the NHL to defer more money. I was speaking to some agents yesterday who were saying that they ran the math and it's not the worst thing. But, you know, like, I think there are some players, so I think they're telling their players it's not a bad idea to defer it. But I think what the players are saying, too, is, look, we just want to make sure that if we do that, it's 
can't be touched again in the future and B what do we get for deferring it? Like what's, you know, what's the concession we get for agreeing to this? Now, some people said yesterday um, that, you know, they said the, the concession is we get to play, but I don't know if that's going to be a good enough answer. So there's Elliot Friedman um, on where things sit. Look, ultimately, they're going to get back to playing. I don't think we're going to lose a season here, Pear, but it's still a tough one to digest, and I think it's a valid point from the players, and we've heard Alan Walsh speak about this as well over the last 24 hours on Tim and Sid as well. I can imagine the players trying to run it back, if you will, after an agreed-to CBA saying, ah, you know what, I'd like to tweak some things. You know, I can't imagine the owners having any sort of appetite for it. This is a different time. I I get it, but. Find me a relationship where employer has uh, less power than employee. Just doesn't happen. And Elliot says, what will they get back? James, I told you all this week. You know what they get back? Christmas. They'll get to move that date from January 1st, which Gary Bettman wants, to January 15th. And at least they can go, well, you know what? They wanted us to start January 1st, but we're going to push that back till January 15th. So, uh, you know, things will be a little bit normal around the holidays. Telling you, that's a little bargaining chip. No, we're not going to start when you want, Gary. We'll start middle of January and not have to be in training camp at Christmas. That's what I'm thinking. It's playing out. Uh, pleased to be joined this morning. Uh, he made headlines across the hockey universe uh, earlier this weekend when he was named the uh, assistant general manager of the Florida Panthers. Uh, Brett Anderson joins us here uh, bright and early this morning here on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Brett. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Congratulations. Are you surprised at the reaction for your announcement? Um, yes and no. Yes and no. I mean, I guess it's a little, I, I, you know, you thought there would be a little bit of, um, a little bit of excitement. I, I think it is a little, a little bit overwhelming, but, um, you know, it's, I'm, I'm happy that uh, everyone is enjoying it. Listen, and we'll get into more of that, uh, Brett, in a second, but I don't know if you heard us, if you're on the line as we, we talked about the latest negotiations and what agents might have been telling their players. Hey, you're not that far removed from an agent's hat, just a matter of days. Do you now have to look at things differently as you wait to see when the season starts? Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's um, – well, I guess it's, it's a – it's a it's it's a 180 from where I was at, right? So um, exactly, you're sitting there and you're trying to figure out just where you can find guys' jobs and where they can accelerate their careers and where they can be impactful. Um, now we're in a completely different situation where there's a big part of our team that is put together and there's an influx of players that are available right now and just take some time to kind of be and sit back and be patient and see what's best for the Florida Panthers. Brett, more importantly, going from being an NHL agent to an NHL executive, did you get a raise or take a pay cut here? <laughs> <laughs> we 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 got we definitely got a, a a raise in excitement. So that's all I'm after. <laughs> well, well, tell played. us because you know that Florida front office now you're loaded with player agents. We saw it here in Vancouver when Mike Gillis came, and now we have Jim Benning, who's from a scout background. What's the difference, if any, with hockey guys and how they get to that front office? Well, I think at the end of the day, the, found, the core foundation for the most of the people that I've seen get to the front office has just been hard work, right? So being involved in the game, uh, understanding 
as, as much of the game and the different aspects of it as you possibly can. So that's always been my focus. I think from the, the agent's perspective, you just have a wealth of, of information of being that you did the contract negotiations, you 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 were forced to study, uh, you know the the cap nuances and 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 understand the players that would be available to you and the guys that would might be leaving. So it, it you kind of have a bunch of different uh, traits that are jammed down your throat as an agent, plus the recruitment background, right? So you know nowadays in the NHL, you see especially you guys out in Vancouver, you know you've seen a lot of guys that. Uh, you know, our college players, when do they come out? When do they not come out? And, you know, teams are forced to, to, sh- to sell to them why they should be coming to Vancouver or Florida. So, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, transferable traits in both, and that's why I'm happy I took the route that I did. Brett Anderson here on Sportsnet 650. Um, you look at the news for, from your hire earlier this week, and, you know, I, I think for some people that weren't really familiar with your background, you look at your background, you kind of take a look at your resume. I mean, man, you've had quite the journey. Can you can you share with our listeners, you know, kind of the road you've taken to get to this point as an NHL exec? Well, it was always a playing background, right? Started there and just fell in love with the game and, and, the, and more than the game is the community of people and the lifestyle that the game has always provided for me. Um, and then from there, it's just a, being curious about, how to combine the sport with business. And I tried every, you know, whether it was in the playing background, trying to play as as long as I could to get to the highest level that I possibly could as a player to have that experience. And then now moving on to the agent side and then, you know, having to build, start your own book of business and build that business. And then, you know, having the responsibility of managing that. And then now, switching gears over to um you know i did some uh some broadcasting stuff too just to to get your guys' side of it um you know and i did some um now we're on the agent side the uh the team side and we're building a team and you know growing a community uh to get excited about our brand so it's just a natural progression for me and i'm just excited to keep going Brett peterson the assistant general manager of florida and in sports in florida in the last couple of weeks they hire the first female GM in baseball. Brett, you're the first African-American in an assistant GM role. Do you feel added responsibility? We know so much about the summer and the diversity the NHL has put forth. Has that put any extra added weight on your shoulders in your view? I mean, I think you, you'd be lying if you said there wasn't a little weight because of you know the current state of where some of that stuff is at. I never saw anything else but just good people and not so good people. Um, and I'm happy to hopefully just change the channel on everything that's bad and, and get everyone back excited about a game and what the game that we all love and, and we're passionate about and kind of, we, you know, I think the world is ready for more smiles and bad news here. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to be a part of that. Yeah, and and 2020's kind of been that year, right? Like just for I think it, I think a lot of people have kind of sat up and said, okay, it, it's time for things to change. Um, but I think I love the fact that just how much positivity was met with with your hire. Now I guess the next step from a hockey standpoint is for this to just become another transaction, as opposed to garnering as money headlines. Would you like to see that? Maybe just get to a sense to a normalcy at some point down the road. 
uh, no question. I mean, we've, it's the hardest thing I think in a lot of, you know, not just this situation, but a lot of situations is just doing it once or being the first and, and getting through that. And now we can simply look back and say, what, who, who do we want? Who, who's going to make our organization better? Who's the top candidates? doesn't matter where they come from, what they look like, what language they speak. If they can help us, then let's get them in here and, and let's tr- go try to win. And that's what I'm excited about. James, it would probably be best right now for us to tell Brett that, you know, with our last name, Solkowski, Sobolski, that Brett, don't be surprised because Ed Jovanovski is on our show every Wednesday morning. There's your special <laughs> consultant because Jovo is watching everything with the Florida Panthers, watches every yep. piece of hockey he can get on. So we know a lot about your team. What excites you about that organization and the talent you have on the ice? Because as Jovo says, man, just unfortunately, sometimes you don't know what they're bringing. It's not consistent enough. Well, I guess what, what excites me is, you know, the, the, um, the, the excitement about our, new, our GM. Um, we've got a Hall of Fame coach, a great coaching staff. Billy's put together a fantastic um, start to a, a front office. The ownership group is committed, and um, they're cemented in, in making this place a winner and a place where people desire to come to. Um, and our players, like, you know, we're, this is going to be a fun time to, you know, uh, change that, switch, switch it back to when Eddie played there himself and, you know, you, I, I'm sure anybody that was a hockey fan remembered when they had that success and what that looked like down there. And boy, oh boy, we just can't wait to get that back. Well, and man, it's not like you're. It's not like the cupboards are bare that you're walking into this situation. As much as like you got to get some, you got to get some results here. But Barkov, Huberto, yep. I mean Ekblad, Bobrovsky, like you got some talent to work with here, right? Absolutely. I mean, you know. Uh, generational players that we have available to us with, you know, we're just trying to support them in every way that we can. And, you know, our job is to be the best management group that we can. And we expect that in return from our players. And I think that these guys, you know, at the end of the day as a player being on the agent side, like players just, you know, they all, they're all competitors and, you know, they want to just be respected for what they do and, and, and commended when they do something right. And, and also told when they're doing something wrong. So, we're just excited to start that conversation and kind of reignite our focus and, and, and raise the bar awfully high for, for our club. You played in a hockey hotbed of Boston in college. We are talking to you from a hockey hotbed in Vancouver. Being in Florida, is that still a challenge for you guys to grow the game? And maybe it's not yours an assistant GM, but... Is that still a struggle and still a top priority in the organization? Uh, you know what? I, uh, yes. I mean, I think we, we've got to grow the game in, in South Florida. But I think nowadays from where we're at with the social and the engagement from the players and, and the fans, it, you know, it's, it's, it can be done. So, um, you know, but that, let's, let's not kid ourselves. All that stuff comes on the side of winning. So if your team has success, then everything seems to go better. So, you know, that's singularly our focus for right now is getting this team to be as successful and compete as hard as they can. Well, Brett, listen, thank you so much. Congrats on uh, on making a difference and making history and for a lot of people to really welcome that decision and announcement earlier this week. And I must say, I we talk about being here in a hockey-mad Vancouver, and for whatever reason, my brain was completely turned off this morning. And I had Rick called you twice 
Brett Anderson, thinking of a former CFL offensive BC Lion, Brett Anderson, so twice. So that's my mulligan this morning. But Brett Peterson, you've made history this week, man. And uh, I think most Canucks fans would say good luck, but not too much luck, okay? (laughs) Thanks, Josh. Thank you. There he is, Brett Peterson, the uh, new assistant general manager of the Florida Panthers, and I deserve my ass kicked twice, but shout out to Brett Anderson, former BC Lions. Brett Anderson lives <laughs> down the block from me, my friend. Not forgotten, right, Pear? He's a good athlete. Yeah, he was in the Poco Hall of Fame, firefighter, I think still in, uh, might be in Coquitlam, but good athlete, lives, uh, at least used to live just down the block from me here. But uh, hey, nice guy, Brett Peterson, and listen gets the job and that's pretty much an all agency run organization now right so it'll be interesting to see i know when mike gillis came here people thought oh okay so an agent this will be an interesting take on how he's going to build the team but hey hockey guys are hockey guys i don't care if you were a scout or if you were an agent he's played the game you understand the game and one person doesn't make decisions it's a collective group so we'll see what goes on there with florida and if eddie ever gets a job there he owes us a percentage Uh, Let's go from one rock star to another, uh, another Tri-Cities resident, uh, Sonia Aslam from News 1130. What's going on? Oh, not much. It's Friday. Do you have your mask on? I do. Nice, as you should. Um, You know, I got to tell you, we got an email from our uh, soccer association last night. And, you know, it's funny, like Dr. Bonnie keeps coming out with these announcements and people keep walking away going, well, wait a minute, what does this mean? And so I think people are trying to figure out, are we allowed spectators or not? And so now all these sports associations are trying to figure out, okay, what? going to happen so we're going to get hopefully more clarification but what can you tell us this morning asm so uh, dr bonnie henry came out with a bunch of new rules yesterday and uh there's a lot and that's because cases are still so out of control so uh no more non-essential travel is allowed around the province so if you live in vancouver don't go to whistler if you live in kamloops don't go to Kelowna. if you don't have to if you don't absolutely have to be somewhere please don't go uh restaurants have been put on warning all businesses that if you don't follow the safety protocols protocols that should be in place it's not there is no longer a grace period there's no warning you will just get shut down so really important to follow the rules there mandatory mask policy uh so in any indoor place except for schools you have to wear a mask so grocery store uh the you know the mall things like that um and the initial public health order that she put in place a couple of weeks ago has been extended about no sorry no gatherings uh, in two major health authorities but that's now also been expanded to the rest of the province so you can hang out with the people you live with and that's it and that's because now, we just can't get a, get control of this yeah now people would go I, when you say non-essential okay so i'm not going to whistler can i go to maple ridge can i go to all do you have to if, yeah, that's and that's probably the bottom line that people should go. Do yeah. you have to? Do you have, have to? to go? Like I live in the Tri Cities. Yeah. Do I? Do I have to go to Abbotsford to go hang out at some nice piece of land and have lunch with a friend? Nope, I don't have to. See, Sonia, this goes mm-hmm. back, and and you'll appreciate this after our burger and Dairy Queen and McDonald's conversation <laughs> yesterday. Yeah. It's need and want, Perry. Do I yeah. need to eat this chocolate bar or do I want to eat this chocolate bar? Do I need to go to Maple Ridge or do I want to go to Maple Ridge, right? Like, man, we're hoping to go skiing at some point in the next few weeks. And at the same time, my 12-year-old having that conversation, well, is it a – I kind of look at skiing as essential. It's good for my mental well-being. Kiddo, I love where your heart's at, but at the same time, do we need 
And what? Right, Aslam? Yeah, and it's it's hard because I get that people are so sick and tired of where we are right now. But yeah, come on, man. Case numbers are too high and transmission is too high. And we just heard from the feds uh, just a short time ago. And they're projecting if we stay complacent and if we continue doing what we're doing right now, breaking the rules across the country, we are going to see 60,000 cases a day by next month. Six wow. zero. Not 16, 60,000 cases a day. This is the worst trend we've ever seen. Yeah, we got to get it together. Uh, I gave you the uh, News 1130 update, the breaking news on what was going on with the Turtles for uh, Braden Holpe (laughs) and the new Canucks goalie couldn't get him across the board. You got anything? Uh, Yeah, so apparently uh, his wife has tweeted that someone has gotten in touch, someone with the DFO, and they're working to get the tortoises back across the border. So yes, everyone can sleep tonight. It's going to be okay. Those turtles will make it back across the line, and it's going to be okay. Now there is a nice positive story to end what has been in some parts in our hallways. A pretty crappy week. So Aslan, that's that's a nice bow to put on things. The turtles are coming. Is it a turtle? I thought they were tortoises. That's not the same. What's the what's difference? the what's I the know. diff? I, I I don't know. I'm not it's like a gator tortoise. and a crocodile, right? Like, There's a difference. If there wasn't a difference, it wouldn't have different names. Come on, you guys. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, there you go. There you go. I think. Is it a difference, difference like a Canadian and a Canuck? Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Things that make you go. Hmm. Mm. Have a great weekend, Aslan. Thanks, guys. Peace out. There Bye, Sonia. Sonia Aslan from News 1130. All right, 24 minutes after 7 o'clock here on this Friday morning. He's Perry. I'm James. The Seahawks get back in the win column. We'll get into that and much, much more. All still ahead here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Down the left side. Tried to drop the puck. Dorsey picks it up. Centers. Horvath scores! And then Zach Cassie does most of the work along the boards. And Bo Horvath, like all good natural goal scorers, knows exactly where to go after he makes the play. This is the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. 7.30 and uh, six years ago today, Pear, the, uh, the kid, the young one, who's now the captain, scored his first NHL goal on this day in 2014, Bo Horvat. Let me ask you that. As you hear John Garrett describe the play, Zach Cassian is still here. Is he in the top six, considering what the Canucks have right now? Is he a top six? <laughs> and I don't know if that's an indictment Probably. of what we have, but if Bo Horvat was playing the right, uh, Bo Horvat had Zach Cassian on his right side on a number one line with Tanner Pearson, which you go, you know, actually probably if our well, options are Louie and we can't like, is he yes, this? I, I would, you know what? I'll, I'll say, I'll say this. Look at Connor McDavid right now, right? Like yeah. Zach Cassian playing on the top line next to the NHL's most, most lethal weapon in hockey at the moment. And that's uh, Connor McDavid. And Zach Cassian has blossomed. Like, man, he was so frustrating. Man, he was the OG Jake Furtanen, right? Like, you were just like, come oh, on, it, give exactly. me more, give me more. And now, I mean, and, and Cassian was his own worst enemy in a lot of ways off the ice as well. And he's cleaned himself up and, 
and look at the second lease on life that he's had and, and has turned out into a pretty good hockey player and a very good power forward in the National Hockey League. But it, it took a while to get there. And, man, we watched the frustrating years here. Uh, yeah, and, and you know what? I think he's still – he's, you know, Jake Bertan and Zach Cassian, that's a, a similar comparison. And, and Zach was missing in action that quick week of hockey that they had in the bubble in Edmonton too, so he's got more to prove. Uh, with Bo Horvat scoring his goal, um, the anniversary of his first ever Canucks uniform, that was our poll question this morning. Still is. Get your vote in Sportsnet 650 on the Twitter account. Do you expect Bo Horvat to score at a 30-goal pace in the upcoming season. Now, listen, you're not getting 30 goals in 60 games if that would they play, but will he be on that kind of a pace? It's an interesting split, James. 58% of the people think, yeah, that's the kind of player he is. 42 say no, and uh, I think that's fair. I think he's got to be in a run that 25 or 30 with the ice time he gets. But Bo Horvat, back when he came into this team and this league, wasn't expected he would score a lot. I think he's had the expectation growing, and really with what we saw in the bubble, maybe 30 is realistic. I'm sure he would say so. But the great part is it doesn't have to be on Bo anymore. There is no JT Miller. There was no Pedersen there getting the job done. Um, he's got help up front. But I think Bo would expect that he's a 30-goal guy. Well, obviously this year you're not going to get a full 82 in, right? So I think that ultimately probably makes things a little more difficult. But I don't know if Bo's a 30-goal guy. And, and, you know, I remember Jim Benning had this. He, he proclaimed this on on the uh, on this station a couple of years ago. He felt that Bo was a 30-goal guy. And I remember asking Bo about it, and he was kind of like, <laughs> okay, well, that's nice of him to feel that way. I don't know how I feel about it, but uh, to put that added pressure. But you know, I think a lot of people sat up and, and, and saw another gear to Bo's game, especially offensively in the postseason, right, Pear? And, you know, Bo's not going to be the franchise player, but he's an important player. And just in the way that Ryan Kessler was that guy for the Vancouver Canucks in 2011, you know, Bo's got the makings of being that guy. And I don't think that Bo's going to be a 40-goal guy like we saw from Kessler that particular year. And I don't know if Bo's going to be in that conversation for a Selkie at any time soon. Um, he's a solid two-way player. I just don't know if we're looking at him in the same breath as a Patrice Bergeron and a Sean Couturier and a Ryan O'Reilly just yet. But he is a valuable piece of this team here, and there's no question about that. Yeah, I think Bo, Bo Horvath and the Ryan O'Reilly comparison, and he showed so well in that matchup. Uh, he's a ways away from that. But I do think Bo is the ultimate do-it-yourself project. It's like you buy a house and go, oh, this is a nice house. And then the next thing you know, a year later, oh, wow, you changed that room. Bo Horvath comes as a very popular junior player. And go, he's got a lot of skill there, but his skating wasn't great. So Bo disappears and his skating is better. You know, Bo was all right. He might be, a, you know, a second-line center at best. And he goes, oh, Bo's going to show that he's got hands and he gets a little better at that. What he showed in the playoffs, I think, is Bo Horvat proving again, hey, when you don't see me and I go away in the offseason, that just means I'm working that much harder on getting better. And I think he now is of the understanding. And I will take even what happened off the ice in the bubble. When the players took the break, and there was Bo by Ryan Reeves, there was Bo making a big statement. Uh, that just is the growth of the player on and off the ice. I think he comes with so much confidence when these guys get back together. That if he heard this conversation, he'd be like, oh, no, I'll show you. I'll, I'll get you 30. I'll make it you more. Um, it's one of those things where you don't count Bo out that he thinks he belongs with the best in the NHL. You just named some of those, and maybe he'll get there. He's still a young hockey player who's showing a lot of growth in a Canucks uniform. 
Easy Beasy uh, texting in on the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. By the way, this hour, presentation of Dunbar Lumber, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner, Arbutus Street in Vancouver, or check them out online at DunbarLumber.com. But Easy Beasy saying, regarding Bo, he's going with the under, but only because the team wasn't able to ship the pieces it needs uh, during COVID. Now, for now, it seems he'll be adapting to changing line mates, which he does incredibly well, but it would be nice to see him get some consistency to fill out the cast that also supports him. Jake and Port Moody adding Bono's 25 goals. He brings so much more than goal scoring to the team, the intangibles and the grit and leadership as well. I think, you know, if, if you get 25 goals annually from Bo Horvat with what you're seeing from the rest of what he brings, I mean, it's a nice package. I always go back to, you know, when Bo was first drafted by the Canucks pair, a friend of mine worked in scouting, and in and this was in the Ontario Hockey League, and I remember him saying, if I could have a hockey son, I would want him to be Bo Horvat because he does everything you'd want from a hockey player. He works hard, never takes a night off. You know, he gives you offense. You know, he plays hard in his own end. Um, he was going to max out as probably a second-line guy. And you know what? That's exactly what he's evolved into, I think, as an NHL player. If I was to ask you this and, and join us, thanks everybody who's using the Dunbar Lumber Dunbar Lumber text line on this Friday, 650-650. You are without either Bo Horvat or Elias Pettersson for 12 games. And you're playing some really good hockey teams. Who do you miss more? Petey. Now, yeah, okay, that answer was a little quicker because I would stew on it a little bit. I go, yeah, Pedersen's going to miss it. You're going to miss the goal scoring. But to what Jake has replied, Bo Horvat, face-off circle, what he can do, how he can shut guys down, those are the intangibles that would be missed from this lineup if he wasn't there. I agree with you. It's it, it's Pedersen. But I, I don't make that decision right away. Like, I don't scoff at what Bro brings to this team. I don't think anybody on that bench does. And I don't think people in the organization are really quick going, oh, we could live without Bo. I think you, you'd miss the goal scoring, but Bo brings a lot to this hockey team. As to how I, they I think I think with where this team's at, I, I think you, you obviously feel the you're going to miss both these guys, uh, no question. But I, I, it's, to me, it's a non-starter. I think it's Pedersen. We'll, we'll get into more of this coming up in just a few minutes of your Canucks commute coming up at 8 o'clock. Um, but I, I wanna, we should also mention last night, huge win for the Seahawks last night, Pear. As uh, Seahawks, uh, after having dropped three of their last four, they get the win back against the Cardinals that had beat them just a few weeks ago as well. And I'll tell you what, man, um, Russ's cooking was much better last night. I wouldn't say it was necessarily gourmet, but he made the plays that he needed. But this was the best performance we've seen from the Seahawks. Much maligned D all season long. They were huge. And I think the most telling number to me was the fact that they limited Kyler Murray I mean, you talk about the guy, the shiny new sexy toy in the National Football League. Kyler Murray limited to just 15 yards rushing on the ground. That was huge by the Seahawks' D last night. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I always look around and see what numbers are as far as Vegas, and we talk about it. We talked about it with Steve Rapp today and Todd Furman before the game yesterday. I think Kyler Murray's, the over-under was like 75 rushing yards for him because that's what he brings uh, the one thing the way Seattle had played so poorly in the last month was there has never been a conversation of Russell Wilson is overrated. If there is, I haven't heard it. It's more like, how does he do that? Like he doesn't have a lot of help. And okay, now he does this year with DK and Lockett. 
But Russell Wilson made mistakes over the last three weeks ago. Man, that's not him. Like He knows how to make decisions. And I think what we saw last night was two really good quarterbacks, but one with so much more experience at making the right decisions and not making mistakes. And Kyler Murray's mistakes were not interceptions and or fumbles. I think Kyler Murray's mistakes were pressure that came from the D-line from Seattle for a change, not moving up when he needed to, maybe missing some reads. But the Seattle Seahawks... Had, to, had a point to prove, I think, yesterday. Like, all right, these guys are coming. They're a little cocky in Arizona. They had the big, uh, you know, the the Hale Murray to win it. And full credit to the Seahawks to prove they're okay. They've got to be much better, in my view, to keep on rolling in the NFC. Maybe not in the West, but if they want to go far. But not surprised that Russell Wilson said, hey, follow me. We'll make the right decisions and we'll get it done. Well, look, offensively, there was some ball control there, right? You know, the Seahawks dominated yep. the time of possession, 35 minutes to 25 minutes last night. Like, you know, now all of a sudden your defense is rested. But, you know, that's two games in a span of four days that the Seahawks, you know, they limited the Rams to just 23 points, right? I mean, that was like that was a pretty good defensive performance. You know, had had somebody told you, and, and Brock Hewitt addressed this the other day, Pear, uh, when we talked to Brock yesterday here on the show. You know, if somebody told you going into Sunday, the Seahawks D will limit the Rams to 23 points, how do you feel about the Seahawks' chances winning? You'd take that. You would take mm -hmm. that, knowing that number. And, to, and last night, uh, they stepped up again, but that's two straight games, and to do that in two straight games in less than a week? Look, I don't know how many times I've heard people say, fire Ken Norton. You know, Seahawks D is terrible. It's awful. You know what? You can't say that the last couple of weeks. And here we are now into late November. Man, that's an encouraging thing. Because I think you know that Russ is going to get out of this funk that he's been in for the last few weeks. And he did last night. Now let's see where it goes from here, right? That's a huge divisional win. It puts them back on top spot in the division. And it gives them some breathing room now with the Cardinals at least a game. And you know what? The Rams got a big one coming up this weekend. By the time the dust settles... By the end, of, by the time Monday rolls around, Seahawks might have a full game lead in the NFC West. That gives them a huge advantage. Yeah, they made you know the bend but don't break. Arizona scored in the first two possessions of the second half, and I'll be honest, they've got the ball with two minutes left. I'm thinking they're tying that game, and and Kyler Murray made the big intentional grounding mistake and the safety that killed the complexion of that last three minutes. But it's there. Um, it's a work in progress, and they've got Russell Wilson and weapons, and Chris Carson is a massive weapon, and I didn't think Carlos Hyde would make that much of a difference. You've heard it on our, our sportscast from Chris Wall. Pete Kilgore, man, we had Carlos, man, running the football. That helps him so much. They went back to it. Speaking of running the football news, it just came down in the last five minutes. Uh, we were talking about the New Orleans Saints and their game and what Jameis Winston will do with that football team. I think they'll be okay. It won't be Jameis Winston, as Sean Payton has said, Taysom Hill will be their starter. Wow. And James, we watched two guys who could run the football last night. That might be fun to see what Taysom Hill does if he gets the majority of the snaps on Sunday for the Saints. Hmm. You don't like it? Well, it's just how how the mighty have fallen, right? I mean, you look at Jameis well, Winston. I mean, there's a first overall pick who is essentially you know, he had a choice to to give him a shot, and and he's going to hold the clipboard again for the Saints. So uh, let's see how it plays out. Look, the Saints. I, I think the Saints are going to do anything they need. They need Drew Brees back, 
right? I guess it's what variation of what Drew Brees is going to be health-wise. 743, uh, your Canucks commute coming up at 8 o'clock. What do we got coming next there, Pear? Oh, I tell you, we'll give you the facts and figures. It's not BS, nothing but PS coming your way on 744, Sportsnet 650. It's all P.S. No B.S. Right here on the starting lineup. 748, uh, we're giving you the facts and the figures that you don't necessarily find in the headlines, but we'll make you go, is that B.S. or P.S.? It is everything. It's P.S., everyone. P.S., uh, James, Andy Dalton is ready to lead the Cowboys this week. Take the Cowboys and the points, by the way, everybody, if you want to make some money. But Andy Dalton will be missing something on Sunday. You know, he can't smell that smell. He's been cleared to play football after contracting Corona. But he said yesterday in a press conference, you know what? Like, he just can taste. He, he knows things are sweet. He knows things are salty. But he just, the smell's there, but the, the taste isn't there yet for him. So, Andy Dalton, ooh, that smell, Leonard Skinner, uh, not all there for him yet. Or my grandmother losing her taste buds at some point when she probably turned about 80, and she's like, I got no taste buds. You can throw as much salt as you want on that thing, and I wouldn't taste it. I always thought oh. that that was fascinating. So, Andy's got something in common with my late grandmother, Nan Sabalski. Rest in, rest, rest in peace, man. Thank you. P.S. And finally, I don't know if you get an honor that gets any bigger than this in the NBA. John Morant is loved so much in Memphis. My name's Allen, and I bought a giraffe. He's all mine. He's super friendly. <laughs> little hangout. Uh, yeah, the Memphis Zoo, a baby giraffe was born. They love Ja Morant so much, they have named it Ja Giraffe. <laughs> uh, like, is that creative? I don't ja know. Giraffe. Like, Ja Giraffe. So giraffe. There you go. Get that. Ja Morant. Giraffe. Giraffe. Yeah. Works, I guess. Funny. You got a name like that, he's got to set up some kind of a store in Memphis. Hey, P.S., uh, Team Canada World uh, Cup, World Cup, World Junior Championship team getting to development camp in Red Deer. They were short two of their best players yesterday. Why? I never waited for anyone who was late more than 10 minutes in my life. I'd say 15. 15 right. No, 10. Yeah, skate was at 11.30. At Krebs and Cousins, two of the veterans who will lead this team, they showed up at 11.30. Coach talked to them. Guys were already skating, and they made the decision to walk away and not participate. They said apparently because of treatment, but we talk of leadership on this day and what Bo Horvat brings. I tell you what, when the skate's at 11.30, James, you don't show up on the ice at 11.30. These guys should know better. They're leading the way. Yeah, be smart. Uh, I learned a valuable lesson going back about 15 years ago about Gordie Howe time. 
and that was always be 15 minutes early. And I was first starting to cover the World Juniors. Uh, I was working with TSN at the time. My camera guy, who I'd work with each and every day, Dean Willers, had played for years in the minors. Uh, and then Gord Wils- uh, Gordon Miller and uh, Pierre Maguire were kind of the, the broadcast team at the time. And I remember walking down the stairs, and I think I got there five minutes before we were going to drive out to the rink uh, from the hotel, and I got down to the lobby, and there was Gord, Pierre, and Dean all kind of barking at me, going, Gordy Altai, what the hell's taking you? You're late. And I'm like, it's 5-2. They're like, yeah, 15 minutes before. It's like, okay. And I'm not necessarily the best guy on the clock, but... From a work standpoint, yeah, Gordy Howe time is something that I uh, that I learned about 15 years ago. It's a sport thing. Uh, you know, Jason DeVos was on with Scotty Rintoul, a former national soccer player. Same thing for us. We would travel if we were going at 11. That meant we were there at 5 to 11, sometimes earlier. Uh, now, I would always sometimes just for fun go, what time is it? And I'd walk in at 10, 59, 59. I go, hey, when you're in TV, you know exactly how to hit the clock. I'm here, like I said, it would be. But remember the Brian Burke story when he went to Lambeau Field a couple years ago? He goes to Lambeau Field. The guy's giving him a tour. He says, look at the clock. Berkey looks at the clock. It's 10 to 10 to 1. Then the guy says, look at your watch. And the watch said it was, uh, well, what time was it? It was um, 20 to 1 uh, or it was 1 o'clock. And it was that, that Vince Lombardi wanted to make sure everyone was 10 minutes ahead. Like you couldn't be late. If he said 1, that meant it was uh, 10 to 1, right? So there you go, clock decision. And finally, P.S. Kelly Olnick has made a decision of his own. I'm saying that we need to discuss all our options. Yeah, his option was, you've got 13.6 million in front of me for a playing option. I'll take it. I'll stay in Miami where the Florida tax is minimal and make his money. The BC product from Kamloops will stay with the Miami Heat exercising his option for $13.6 million. None of that is B.S., that's all P.S. Kelly Olynyk is—he's got a—he's had—he's had a good career, but role player at best in the NBA, and he makes almost two million dollars more than the best player in the National Hockey League, in Connor McDavid. I'm always fascinated when there are big sports galas that take place, and and people would think, oh my goodness, I got a chance to to sit with a Zach Cassian or a Zach McEwen or someone who's because they're hockey players. And then you kind of look at someone else and go, you know how much money this guy has made? Oh, Kelly, and I go, what do you do? It's almost like it's a, yeah, that's kind of what, is that like the AHL? No, 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 it's the NBA, it's pretty good. Yeah, money made by Canadian athletes in basketball, mm, compared to hockey, different world, man. Tristan and Thompson, the NHL players know Andrew it. Wiggins, I mean, you know, yes. Jamal Murray's, <laughs> like there's some, some guys getting paid in a big way. And uh, sometimes we can't th- see through the reeds or, or through the rink sometimes. But, yeah, Kelly Olenek, man, making some mad money. Good cr- good gig if you can get it, right? Darn it. That's all, uh, that's all PS for you on this Friday morning at 7.55. And coming up here, Canucks Commute uh, just around the corner. We'll dive into, uh, you know, Bo Horvat and, and just kind of we'll play a little bit of more or less or as good as it gets in terms of what you expect from members of the Vancouver Canucks. Plus, Mark Spector's in Edmonton. We'll look ahead to the Oilers and uh, their chances at cup contention this year. It's all still ahead right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. 
Spicing up your morning drive with the Canuck Commute. We'd like you guys to defer another 16% in years four, five, and six of the deal. Take on another 3% a year uh, of escrow. And for the uh, pleasure of giving back all of this uh, to us, we'll let you play the 2021 season. This is the starting lineup with James Sabalski and Perry Solkowski. The always outspoken Alan Walsh, uh, player agent, uh, who, if you're a hockey fan, definitely a must-follow on Twitter. Um, speaking with Tim and Sid yesterday on the Sportsnet Radio Network. James Sabalski, Perry Solkowski, this is your Canucks commute here on your home of Vancouver Hockey, Sportsnet 650, on this Friday, November 20th, Perrin. Um, yeah, it, it's been an interesting week or last couple of days where, you know, we talked a lot about the NBA and they're, what, a month and two days away from tipping off their season for the 2021 campaign. And here we are from a hockey standpoint, and Gary Bettman's got the fingers crossed for January 1, but I'll tell you what, you've got basically a week to sort this out right now between the players and the league, and I don't think the players are fans, but... I mean, here's the reality, pair. What are you going to do? I mean, you're not going to play. You're going to play, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah, and, and that's that's the one constant, right? I mean, it, we've been through this narrative before, James, in a situation where you and I would talk for three hours and it would be June and we go, okay, they're going to play. And remember we had with Kevin Bieksa? And Bieksa made headlines everywhere when he goes, you know what, guys? Like, pump the brakes on this plan. Like I've been talking to some guys and like I just I would just say pump the brakes. I don't think anyone has said pump the brakes. Now, the last three days, it's been interesting because, you know, Elliot reported, hey, the players saw what's in front of them. And it's the owners in the league saying we need more from you. Now, no one's going to go, hey, no problem. Yeah, take whatever you want. It's a garage. Take whatever you want from us. It doesn't work that way. They're a powerful union. But to your point. And the one thing we have heard from everybody when you talk about, yeah, there were some heated heated words exchanged here, and, and they're not happy, and, and there's Alan Walsh. Really, take, take, take. Where are you going, guys? Like, where are you going? And so whether it's January 1, whether it's January 15th, or maybe it's February 1st, time is ticking down for these guys to get it done and go, here's the schedule, here's what it looked like. But I don't think there's anyone thinking, these guys aren't playing hockey in the next, you know, 10 weeks. Yeah. No, I think it's just a question of whether you're looking at January 15th or January 1st or the start of Feb. I, I mean, I would think that some point, you know, within that 31-day span uh, in January, you know, the NHL will get back. It's just it's a tough pill to swallow <laughs> knowing that the players have made some concessions already with the new CBA. Uh, Mark Spector uh, will join us from Edmonton in just a few minutes, but I, I want to – our Sportsnet 650 poll question this morning, Pear, uh, a lot of people jumping in on this, and, and we're asking, do you expect Bo Horvat to score at a 30-goal pace in the upcoming season? Six years ago, today, Bo scored his first. Um, do you expect him to score at a 30-goal pace for this upcoming season? Uh, right now, 57% of you say yes, 43% of you saying know in terms of what your expectations are for Bo Horvat. And I want you to humor me on this here for a second. I'll play a little game, more, less, or as good as it gets, okay? And I'm going to throw a Canucks name out at you, 
And you tell me if they have more to give, they will produce less this season, or what they what we saw from last year is as good as it gets, and that's what we'll see again this year, okay? I'll throw a name. You tell me more, less, or as good as it gets, okay? Gotcha. Okay. Feel free to play along at 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text line as well. All right. I'm going to start easy. Elias Patterson. Well, see, I'm – okay, can I complain about the game already? Like, oh I just God. don't know if I'm going to say less for anybody. More, of course. We expect more from him. You don't think a player could potentially be on the decline? Stop it. Okay. Right so now, people Pedersen, are screaming I, at you. Yeah. That, no, well, not with Pedersen. Are you saying no, Pedersen? No, I'm just saying, I'm saying another another player I may mention. You might think well, that you Okay, the you decline. better go to some veterans then. But okay. uh, uh, there's, a, there's a lot more to go from All PD. Right. Okay, so PD, yes. I, I think that's a slam dunk more. Um, Brock Besser. That was radio silence. Uh, I, there's more, and I know you're you would you're gonna say less. There's still more from Brock Besser. I like his game. I don't think Brock Besser's statistics are all goals, goals, goals. What did he do? I think he's getting better as a hockey player. There's more to give there in different areas of the game for sure. I'm gonna say it's as good as it gets. I think we've seen the best version of Brock so far. I mean, the numbers statistically have been regressing uh, annually in three years. But I, I, I don't know if there's more to give, but I think we've seen from Brock Besser it's as good as it gets right now. That's where I'm at. Your view is that of an accountant where you were just looking at numbers, and I knew you would look that way, but it's more than that. Yeah. Um, all right. Nate Schmidt, from what we've seen from Nate Schmidt going into this season, based on the numbers, based on what you expect, more, less, as good as it gets. You know what? Uh, listen, I'm going to hope for more, but I think it could be as good as it gets because we're really excited to have Nate Schmidt here. And boy, I, I was on a call with him doing the Special Olympics last week, and he joined the thing early. And so we were talking. He's in a cabin outside Minnesota, uh, Minneapolis, and just a nice, fun-loving guy. I'm going to root for this guy. Everyone will. But take into consideration where he was playing and the talent he was surrounded with. It's a good hockey team in Vegas. So you have to fit in. Now, will he have the, the highway to go, oh, there's a lot of young talent here? I think that's what we hope. But I don't know if we're going to see more. I hope we see what we see, and I don't know if there's there's a bigger ceiling there. So I'll, I'll, I'll take as good as it gets. I'm going to go with more. I, I'm going to say more because I think offensively, I, I, having a chance to play alongside Quinn Hughes, there might be another uh, – there might be a little more offense to be had there from, from Nate Schmidt. But um, – Alex Edler. Um, I'm going to say uh, less, and that's okay. I don't think we see Alex Edler play as many minutes anymore. Yes. This team has to grow. Ole Olevi's got to take some minutes. So I think we have seen the best of Alex Edler. Been pretty damn good, too. Uh, but if he's playing more, if there's more there, and he's a bigger part of this team this year than he was last year, that's a step backwards for this team. Uh, I w I'm with you on that one. I think the minutes will be reduced. I think the offense will probably reduce as well just because of the situational play that Edler's going to see himself. He won't get all those minutes uh, and those situational play uh, like we had seen in years past. It's not to say he won't remain an effective part of the top four uh, in the blue line for the Vancouver Canucks, but I'm with you. I think, uh, I think less is where we're going to see from there. Braden Holtby, more, less, 
good as it gets. If I'm going to base it off the last two years, more. I think he's really going to enjoy the change. Uh, now that the tortoises are coming across the border, I think he's comfortable. Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, we're going to see uh, – you're never going to see anyone who's on a Stanley Cup run, but I do think we will see more from Braden Holpe than we've seen in the last couple of years. I'm going to go as good as it gets because I don't know if there's more beyond a Vesna and a Stanley Cup with what he's done in his career, but I would say well, that I path. think there's that's definitely – But I also think that there is definitely room for improvement from what we've seen from Braden Holpe the last couple of seasons. He's the same age as Jacob Markstrom, right? Like, I think people forget that. And so is there an opportunity for a bounce back? Absolutely. You know, I mean, look at how long it took for Jacob Markstrom to kind of finally hit that eureka moment as a number one goalie in the NHL. I mean, by the time Jacob Markstrom finally established himself as a number one, a legit number one goaltender in the National Hockey League, Braden Holtby had already won a Vezna and won a Stanley Cup. I'm going to say as good as it well, gets for Braden Holtby. Yeah, and, and there's the thing. Calgary believes in Jacob Markstrom for six years. That's the great part of the Canucks deal, that they got, they got Holtby for two. Okay. Right. Let's get to uh, – I'm going to throw one more name before we wrap things up, and uh, we'll have some fun. We'll have some fun with it because I feel like it's always the lightning rod for the conversation. But uh, at this time, we are joined uh, – look, uh, uh, you look across the country, I think you can make a case for five, maybe even six teams that have aspirations for a Stanley Cup for this upcoming season in the country of Canada. Just how legit are they or not is always debatable. But joining us from now from Edmonton this morning, is there snow on the ground already, Mark Spector? Oh, yeah. Winter's here, baby. It's, you know what? It's almost, what's the date today? The 20th? Uh, it's it's, it's snow, and we will not see grass now here till uh, sometime in March, hopefully. Uh, James, why did you quit? Like, couldn't we have played more or less? We've seen the best of Mark Spector, or he's, he, you know, he's, he's still got more to come. Spec, as good as like it gets. As good stuff? as it gets. <laughs> <laughs> for all three of us <laughs> actually yeah, spec a, a, a spec speaking of winter I, I'll, I'll i'll take you down memory lane on this one real quick here guys but we're almost it was november 22nd 2003 so we're almost on the 17th anniversary but i remember covering that the first ever nhl heritage classic between the oilers and the habs and man like we're still talking mid to late November. It was minus 30 with the wind chill. And remember, Edmonton got blasted with like 30 centimeters of snow. And we're pretty much talking about the middle of November, but it might as well have been February, Spec. That was crazy. Yeah, it was really cold. It was, uh, I recall it being like minus 21 or 22 uh, in actual temperature. Yeah. Personally, uh, us, uh, us hardy Westerners, uh, prairie folk, would say that wind chill is sort of for people who want to make it seem colder than it really is. Like when it's minus 20, do you need wind chill? Isn't minus 20 cold enough for you, James? Or That's the Ontarian in me. Man, come on, man. I, anytime I talk to my parents to this day, like, oh, it's minus 35 with the wind chill. Windchill is like an invention of people who sell parkas or something, man. Seriously. Yeah, yeah don't make – that's the – it's the global – it's a scam. It is such a scam, Windchill. Hey. There's no wind blowing, but it's supposed to be 10 degrees colder. It's cold, man. What more do I need? Do I need to make it colder still? Like, come on. Yeah. Define cold. Well, it's just cold, right? Hey, I mean, before we get into the breakdown of the Oilers, uh, we had just heard on our on our sportscast by Chris Wall, the CFL is coming up 
with their schedule today. Listen, you know there's a big difference in CFL football and the interest in Edmonton than there is in Vancouver. So really, it has not been talked about with the exception of the passing of David Braley. That's kind of been the football news here. Has it been different in Edmonton on this a Grey Cup week, a big void in that city as well? Yeah, certainly the last couple of weeks I have run into a few people who said, man, you know, we should be watching CFL football. We should watch playoff football, right? Uh, yeah, it runs deeper here. I mean, Perry, you're from you're from here, and there's no question that the the prairie cities, Edmonton, Regina, Calgary, Winnipeg, you know, are those the four hardiest CFL cities in the league? I'm going to say they are. Um, so you know what? We're no one's no one's sitting home crying in their beer all day long because the Eskimos aren't playing. But we miss it here. It it makes an impact. We. You know, there's sort of that hardcore group of 30,000 people that go to most of the games. And, uh, I, you know, I'm an old guy and a Canadian. And, and at this time of year, as, as a sports writer, I should be driving down to Calgary to cover a Western final or covering a semi here or, you know, whatever. The Lions should be coming in. We should be talking football. So it's a void in a, in a sporting fans world. I like to think we haven't forgotten about the CFL, have we? <laughs> at no this comment. point yes i mean i think i mean look it'll be nice to see them get back to playing but uh i want to talk to about the oilers um and where they're at right now where their off season you know tyson berry gets brought to the fold kyle Turris. I'll tell you what like they've been all low risk low cap uh low term I like what they've done here, spec I mean, is is there a reason to believe that this year with this makeup is different well, yeah, I think so. It's, for me, it's kind of, first of all, the others were a really good regular season team last year. You know, when the pause hit, I think they were three points behind Vegas in second place. They spent a ton of time atop the Pacific all year. So they were, you know, they were a good regular season team. Mm-hmm. Now, adding, you know, you lose, they're going to lose Oscar Kleffbaum for pretty much the whole season. He's their top minutes guy. That hurts a lot. So Tyson Berry is going to come in and make up for the offensive end of that. He's not going to help play on the defensive end of that. Um, they went after Markstrom, and the, the bad news was they didn't get him. The good news was they didn't have to sign him to a six-year, seven-year deal or whatever it was. You know, sometimes when you miss on that free agent a couple of years down the road, you're happy. Did the Canucks wish they would have missed on Louis Erickson? I think so. Right? Did the Orders wish they would have missed on Lucic? I think so. So they're a better regular season team, guys. I'm going to tell you that they're starting to, they remind me a little bit of the Leafs right now. They're a good regular season team. The owners will challenge for the top of the Pacific. I'm not sure they got it, what it takes to win in the playoffs at this point. That's where they need to build. Their, their wingers are small. Uh, they're a real skill team. You know, Tyson Berry is going to run their power play. That's great. But uh, in his own end, you know, they, he doesn't punish you and he doesn't defend real great. They're going to count on a guy named a young kid named Caleb Jones a ton to fill in the minutes for Clefbaum. So I think they'll get by in the regular season. They'll be a pretty good team. Uh, come talk to me when the playoffs start and when the game changes and it gets harder to play. And then if they haven't added a little bit of beef to this lineup, there's going to be some question marks. Mark Spector joining us as we talk about the Edmonton Oilers. You know, out here, Spec, as you would know, Jake Furtanen is the lightning rod and kind of the guy to me that can really waver things one way or the other if he ever feel the potential. Is Jesse yeah. Pugliarvi that guy in the Oilers? 
Yeah, he just hasn't been doing it. He hasn't been trying for as long as Vertanen, right? But for sure, he yeah. is. You know, he's he's coming back this year now for his second shot in the NHL. He's got a new general manager, a new coach. He's got Kyle Turris going to be a centerman. It's all set up for his success, and now we're going to watch and see if he can do it. He's Listen, every team has this guy. You guys got Jake Furtanen. You got Ole Levy out there, right? Uh, you know, I think of guys like Shikarak. I think of Sam Bennett down in Calgary, you know. He was fourth overall, and he turns into be a nice bottom six winger, but really that's what he is. Um, Jesse Pugliarvi is Edmonton's guy like that. He's a fourth overall pick, six foot four, skates like the wind, got a great shot. You look at this kid and you just think, wow, what a great looking hockey player. And all the only trick is he hasn't turned into one yet. So he gets a second chance. He's, he hasn't been around as long as uh, Britannia. He gets a second chance here in Edmonton this year. He's, like I say, you're going to play with Kyle Turris, so you can't say you don't have a, an offensive enough sentiment or a guy that can furnish you with enough pucks. He's a good player. So Speckle, let's see what happens, man. Yeah, let's see what happens. I want to go back to what you were saying there in terms of the Oilers' size and particularly up front. I, you know, it's funny. I, I look at that roster, and I, I hear what you're saying, but I also look like – you got Cassian that's there to insulate McDavid. You got James Neal who can play heavy if need be. Yep. Um, you know you got you got Kara. You know Pugliarvi, as you mentioned is six four. Um, you know you know Alex Chason is he's he's a big body. He's, is he not six three or six four two? Like I mean, he's they a do decent size, right? yeah. Yeah, like I, I just wonder, like you've got the skill guys. Like I get the Yamamotos and the Cahoons, and and you know you don't necessarily look at McDavid as being, you know, a, a power guy. But but Drysaitel, like it looks like they've got some weight up front if need be. Yeah, no, their wingers to me are are the same. They're top nine wingers. You know, we're not going to talk about Kara and, and I mean Chason's okay. Sure. Chason's not a very physical player, but he's got some size. But sure. and this team, he's coming at you off the fourth line at this point. Kara's a fourth line player, full stop, right? Yeah. So I guess what I should I should I should change that statement to say their top nine's a lot of the same player. Mm-hmm. You know, listen, no one's complaining about McDavid and Drysaddle. <laughs> Any team wants them, sure. Uh, but they're skilled guys, and they're really, really, really skilled players. They're great. But you need to furnish it with people. Ryan Nugent Hopkins, top line left winger, really good player, not physical. Cassian's on that line, no problem there, real physical, right? Your second line wingers are Yamamoto, he's five foot six and 150 pounds. And right now it'd be Cahoon, who's 170 pounds. So that's your second line wingers. Your third line wingers are Jesse Pugliarvi, who wouldn't know his own zone at this point if you fed it to him in a bowl of soup. <laughs> you know, he's not a defensive player. He's not. Not hard to play against it. Maybe he comes back and it's all different, guys. But right now he's a young European guy that is easy to play against. And on the other side is going to be like Tyler Ennis, who's 150 pounds. Yeah. So maybe James Neal jumps up into there, and he is a bigger physical player. I'll give you that. But I'm telling you, they're top nine in my eyes. Uh, and you know, the third line center is Kyle Turris, who's a nice player, but in no way a physical difficult to play against guy. I'm not saying you got to be the 75 flyers but we watch playoff mm-hmm. hockey see one of vancouver's best players is bo horvat so he's a really good player and he's big and he's physical and hard to play against right mm-hmm. so having those guys as you're like mcdavid's not horvat mcdavid's a better player and he's you know he's a great player and all that stuff but he doesn't give you that element horvat gives you where where man playing bo horvat all night it beats you down 
So they need a little bit of that to play with those elite centermen, and right now they're still looking for it. That's all. Yeah, I mean, it's the adjustment Tampa made just to be a little bit heavier. Skill won out the day for them. I was glad they had that. With all the size and what you lack as far as size, but all the skill, Spec, how much do you think the conversation is going to be about the guys who have to stop the puck? Because that's where you kind of tried but didn't do anything. There you go, right? And, and you know, listen, make no mistake. When the GM sets out into the free agent season and his first big target is a goalie, Jacob Markstrom, that tells you what he thinks about his current goaltending situation, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Ken Holland wasn't hunting down Jacob Markstrom because he was happy with what he had in that. So, listen, I get it. It's a cap system. The orders are like everybody else. They don't have much money. They missed out on Markstrom. So instead of getting another goalie and spending a bunch of money, they, they made some nice moves. Like plan B for Ken Holland was good. Man, he signed Ennis. He signed um, Pugliarvi. He signed Cahoon. You know, he brought in uh, Barry. I like what he did. But if the conversation comes down to goaltending and does Ken Holland, do we think Ken Holland likes what he's got there? No, he doesn't like what he's got there. If he did, he wouldn't have been going after Markstrom, right? Nope, that's that's totally fair. <laughs> so when the when the dust settles on this season, if um, would you be shocked if the Oilers won then, or do they have a legit chance at uh, going after it this year then? Well, they're not going to win. A, I don't see them as a Stanley Cup winner. I th- I wouldn't be shocked if they won the Pacific or whatever. We're sorry, whatever this the Canadian division. Yeah, the Canadian division, <laughs> sure. You know, I wouldn't be shocked. They were when the season in March twelfth. They were the best Canadian team last year. You know, yeah, and you I kind of forget that, about that, yeah. You forget about that, but they were. You know, they had better, more points than everybody else. So I don't. I'm not. I'm not making any predictions yet, but they could win the Canadian division. But like, I've been watching the Leafs here. So have you, and so is everybody. They're a good regular season team, and they do not have what it takes to win the playoffs. And I, we all know what it is that they lack. And they're bringing over now this Finnish defenseman I see today, right, Lettinen. Uh, which is great. He's another good, skilled defenseman, but Toronto has way too many light, easy-to-play against skilled guys, and that's why Boston and Tampa and Columbus and everyone cleans their clock in the playoffs every single year. And uh, the Oilers will be that team if they follow that trajectory. And I'm not saying they will. I think Ken Hall and Dave Tippett know what they're doing, and I think they will beef up, and I think they will get some guys in there that make them a playoff team. But right now, they're a really good regular season team, and that's the next step for them. Nice to catch up, sir. Thanks, Beck. All right, boys. Uh, I'm going to go back. It's about minus 16 out here this morning. Beautiful day. Might take the dog for a walk. Forgot the wind chill. Yeah, I, I might take my shirt off. I might go in, in a T-shirt. You know what? I don't need I've, <laughs> That's That's great cup weather. Think you're an old lineman, my friend. Go like you're, go like you're Blake Dermott. Yeah, right. And maybe uh, maybe just in honor of Grey Cup, a guy should get drunk sometime this weekend, eh? <laughs> yeah. There you go. Thanks, Beck. All right, boys. Take care. There he is, Mark Spector, uh, weighing in uh, on the Oilers' chances uh, for this upcoming season once the puck drops. Um, built for the regular season is still the sense of uh, how Speck views the Edmonton Oilers for this year. But, James, he makes an interesting point. The Edmonton Oilers the best team in Canada uh, in March, right, when it all stops. And yet you go, wow, the Oilers, man, they got a lot of work to do. Why? Because they failed in the bubble. We sit here in Vancouver going, oh, bring on next year. The Canucks were great. Yet 
during the regular season, we were sitting here going, oh, my goodness gracious, are they going to make the postseason? Right? Montreal, the same situation. Kind of get in because of what they decided the playoff format would be. Two teams, Montreal, Vancouver, so excited. But there's Edmonton, who actually was the best team during the regular season. Fascinating. It's kind of, you know, what have you done for me lately? And the memory of Edmonton is you guys failed. And then Vancouver is, you guys were really successful in the bubble. It'll make 2021 that much more interesting. 26 minutes after 8 o'clock here on this Friday morning. He's Perry. I'm James. We'll dive into much more on this and also a big Seahawks win last night at Lumen. Yeah, get used to that next right here on Sportsnet 650. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. Welcome to the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. 831. Perry, I don't know if you had this issue at home. Yeah, shout out to Hammer. Um, I don't know if you've had this, but Brenda has like taken, you know, the idea during this pandemic. And kind of making the point, like, you know what, instead of eating, like, less processed stuff, so instead of buying the cookies at the grocery store, you know what, I'll make a healthier alternative that the kids can kind of bring to school. So, you know, gets the oatmeal out and the coconut and puts some chocolate chips in. But, man, like, she's baking cookies every week. And when I'm home and the kids are at school, I turn into the cookie monster. Like, I can't stop, man. I'm, I'm eating, like, two, three cookies a day now. So I understand Brenda and the thought, like, let's make it natural. But now yep. because of that, are you, you know, are you guys eating more cookies in the house than you normally would? If like I guarantee normal? you, I am like, I like it. I don't know. The kids are allowed one, you know, you, Hey, you put one in your lunch. You can have one as one of your snacks going to school. But like, I find myself eating sometimes two or three a day. I was actually proud of what we've done. Like we went through the, you know, the, the COVID-19 pounds were there. And now, you know, you can't really exercise and I can't because of my surgery. I can't do anything for a couple of weeks. Try and go for a little walk today. I thought I could walk to the corner store, which is about five minutes away. It was like, oh, my goodness. It's my own marathon of hope here. I ain't getting that far. <laughs> um, so turning around. Right. So I, I didn't. But uh, I was proud yesterday. Man, what do we got to eat? And, and my wife loves to keep everything clean. And we were near the bottom of our freezer. Like, we need to go to the groceries. And I love grocery shopping. In fact, today I thought, okay, I'd like to go grocery shopping and help out. And Kathy's just like, okay, can you check the doctor thing? And it says right there, no groceries. Don't lift anything over 10 pounds for a month. So I'll go with Hannah later on. We'll have a little dad-daughter time. and go. So you can't buy anything from Costco over the next, like, four weeks because you can't lift anything over 10 pounds. And everything comes in a 10-pound package. No, I... No, exactly. Like I just to get out of the house and I literally I went for that walk. That's the only time I've been out of our house in the last seven days. Um, like I'm excited and we're done this show. and We'll have our meeting. I, I'm going to go get coffee because I'm just going to go in. We got a list of groceries. I'm going to buy coffee for the house, carry it just so I can go on, put on my mask, say hi to people. But I had this happen yesterday as we were eating. Uh, we're in a conversation. Uh, my daughter's there, her boyfriend and my wife. And uh, Christian brings up Mario Lemieux. And I think it was yesterday, the day before his anniversary of his Jersey retirement. And, you know, you forget about young people who ask you, you know, like Mario was great, right? Yeah. And my wife, who I have been married to for 26 years, been knowing her for 29. I've made a living doing this. 
traveled hockey, hockey, hockey. Who's Mary Lemieux? I said, really? Like, you don't know who Mary? No, who's Mary Lemieux? I said, gosh, opposites attract. <laughs> she goes, well, I know Gretzky, but Mario, like what, a Crosby, Crosby? No, no, Mario. So there you go. You worry about cookies, but I think in your house, you could probably come up with that. My daughter did have an idea who he was, but. Uh, yeah, Food, I saw it on a Zoom call. There was people playing trivia the other day, and they said, "All right, name one album, name one song off Jagged Little Pill from Alanis Morissette." And to which the person responded with, "I have no idea who that was." <laughs> so, really, it's yes. conceivable that. By the way, can I can I say this too? We've kind of gone over the map here, but we've got ten minutes left in our show. As we, <laughs> what did you say? Thirty-five days left to Christmas. Uh, Thirty-five um, days to Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, and, and by the way, because of the way it is, we won't exchange Christmas gifts, so I'm telling you that right now. I'm not working that hard to get your address and send you a gift. But I want to give you a shout-out because you gave me a Christmas gift last year that has been the rage at my house for a long time. In fact, my brother-in-law has asked where to get it, and it's hockey-related. That's spotted where you flip cards and try and find the NHL teams. Unbelievable game. Unbelievable oh, game. Yeah, no, it's the best because you know what, and, and the best about it, like honestly, if if you have, like, and I'm sure there's a lot of people listening that have the game already, but and there's different variations. Like I have a baseball version, we have just the regular version with just different shapes and all that. But you've got every card has a match on each card, and like kids, like you know, it didn't take long before the kids kicked my ass, right? And so by the time a kid's you know five, six, seven, like they can play with a group of adults, and it's you know, put that down for it takes five minutes to play. You sit it down while everybody's having dinner or whatever. Obviously, keep your bubble tight. But, you know, you're playing a game with the family and boom, you. Uh, yeah, no, it, it's awesome because everybody like, but, it's a level playing field. Yeah, no, it's great. But I, but I don't know if it's a teaching tool as well, because uh, my little nephew likes to play it. He's 10 and he's not a hockey guy. His dad's not a hockey guy. They like soccer and that's it. So, you know, what started as that one, and he would point, it would be, no, that's the New York Rangers. You know, no, that's the LA Kings. Uh, it's the Tampa Bay Lightning. And it turned into, you know, all of a sudden we're, you know, 15 minutes into Tampa Bay. Oh, good. That's what Tampa Bay, like, like there's a little component if you're not a fan to go, oh, okay, that's what the symbols look like. Great, Mark. I got to find out. Where did you buy that? Is it Walmart that I can find? Oh, you like can that? find it anywhere. See, you know what? Go find it. Find a local toy store because you know what? Support the lo- the little guy these days. But yes, I'm sure okay. you can find it on Amazon or Toys R Us or Walmart or and pretty much any store. I think they pretty much have it. Uh, Seahawks last night, man. Um, you like the Cardinals going into this one, but man, like what a decidedly different looking Seahawks team last night. That you know, I think this is something that I think every agonizing Seahawks fan has been screaming for all year. Balance. We saw it last night where. Russ and the offense make plays. You saw some ground and pound coming in there as well. But defensively, best effort of the season. Fair? Defensively, uh, yeah. I mean, against a running team that is so good with Arizona, uh, full credit to the Seahawks. They've lost three times, and maybe I've been hard on them for the record they've had, and the schedule is going to get easier. I felt like it was it was Kyler Murray's chance to, to come out. Here it is, your national stage. Everyone's talking about the play you made on Sunday. Now you're going up against Russ. He's struggling. And to me, Kyler Murray was like, okay, there's the spotlight. And he's kind of still hanging behind the curtain on the stage. I go, go, go. You're ready. Uh, no, not just yet. Uh, he didn't appear ready for the challenge yesterday. So I will give credit to the Seahawks. But I have to say, I, I, 
I think that Arizona team, which played really well in the second half, the first two possessions were great, but I thought the decisions in Kyler Murray looked like, okay, you haven't been doing this for five or six years now. There's still some learning and understanding that he has to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, look, I mean, sure. I mean, it's year two, right? He's going to make mistakes. Like it's going to happen along the way, but tell you what, like who would have saw, who would have seen the Seahawks D limiting Kyler Murray to 15 yards on the ground. Right. But sometimes, you know, it's, it's like, why did the Seahawks win yesterday? What did they talk about the whole time? Because they got away from running the football for the last three weeks and you, you get away from them when you don't have anybody there. And Carlos Hyde returns and makes a big difference, as Pete Carroll said, and they'll be that much mm-hmm. better when Carson's back. But they got away from doing that. And to me, sometimes you go, why? Like, wh- you know, why did they throw the ball to DK Metcalf enough? I don't understand how teams get away from what seems to be very obvious. And so I wondered, okay, is it the Seahawks gave so many different looks? Or just was it one of those games that they just, Kyler Murray just didn't tuck it and, and look for that option as much as he normally did? But full credit, yeah. I mean, this Seahawks team that I haven't thought have been great, Russell's just been making miracles like he always does, is there. And when you're there and when you're in the postseason and they'll be healthy by the time they get there, I guess you never know. I don't believe it. As I watched that game, James, and thought, no, this is entertaining, but for some of the wrong reasons, for some of the penalties and the dumb mistakes, I didn't go away thinking either of those teams are really going to push for a Super Bowl. I thought they're the... They're good, uh, but they're not there yet, at least for Arizona. And to me, Seattle's still hanging on there. So so the Hawks are now 7-3 and three on the season. Pair, it's not inconceivable that the Seahawks could run the table down the stretch too. And look at their schedule and how favorable it is in the mm-hmm. NFC. And this is why the Seahawks have a shot. Like, I took a futures bet before the season kicked off on the Seahawks. And... Got great odds on it, but look at the schedule here. So next week, you got the Eagles. Winnable game? Absolutely. Oh, for sure. Yep. Giants, first week of December, winnable game. The Jets, winnable game. Washington, winnable game. The Rams, stiffest test, and they close out against the Niners. So worst case scenario, the Seahawks are going 4-2, and two, right? That yep. puts them at 11 and 5. Now, they're home to the Rams. They'll be in San Francisco, depending on what the bodies look like, the body count looks like for the Niners that final week of the season. Yes, it's a divisional rivalry, divisional matchup, but, you know, the Rams are beatable. The Niners are beatable. Like, I, I don't think it's completely inconceivable that they could go 5 and 1 or 6 and 1 or, or, or 6 and 0, oh, 4 and 2. Like, imagine that. Like, it, it is possible that they could conceivably finish 13-3 and to close out 2020. Uh, well, good on you to make that futures bet. I, I would have never thought uh, that it could possibly be a 13-win season. It can no. be. I don't think it will be. I, but look at that know, schedule. I'm looking forward to Monday. Yeah. But is 12-4 and four crazy based on that schedule? Like, if they no. went 5-1? No. and one? Like, honestly, like, any any loss to Washington – the two New York teams and Philly, that will be a belly flop for the Seahawks, right? Like they should go four and zero if you're like if you're legit. And you know what? They're still seven and three. They've got their flaws, they've got their wards, but they should go four and zero over the next month against those four teams. They should. Well, take care of NFC this. East. Is, yeah, NFC East is a joke, and you get everybody on the NFC East. 
yep. you know, except for the Cowboys. You get the Eagles, Seahawks, and Washington. Thanks for, you know, thanks for signing up. And then throw the Jets in there, the biggest joke in the league. It's the easiest schedule going. Rams is their toughest game. And to me, Monday night will be great. I think the Rams defensively, they, you know, so much expected from when they went to the Super Bowl. That was a, a mirage. Uh, but I do think they're better. I think Goff is a little bit smarter. I think that defense is still there. They are the best team, in my view, out here in the NFC, in the NFC West. But you're you're completely right. The Seahawks are having a breath today going, wow, all right. Works for us. Or we get the game on Thursday, have a little bit of rest. And if we play good football, if we get healthy and get back to it and the defense gets a little bit better, uh, they could run the table. Now, are they that good of team that you go, hey, 13 wins, look out for them? Well, I, I would. Sometimes your record's better than your performance, and sometimes your performance is better than your record. I'd say that might be the case for the Seahawks. Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, I would still take – like the Rams' defense is built for the winter, right? To go into a playoff run, take your chances with that D. That's a really good defense. But that offense, I just don't trust – and, I mean, I'd still probably take the Seahawks to win out. Now, Arizona, there's a lot to like. They're not quite there yet, but, man, I think they're really close. Um, there's a great point from Greg, who texted in on the Dunbar Lumber text line, saying Kyler Murray hurt his shoulder, basically first play of the game, was timid the rest of the way. That's why he didn't run, was scared to get his shoulder hurt even more. I think that's valid. And, you know, you saw him being worked on a few times throughout the game, looked like mm -hmm. he was in discomfort. You know, how much did that impact the game plan? He still made a beautiful play when the Seahawks went on that jailbreak play, and he just backed up, baited everybody in to come after him, and just floated it into a wide-open end zone, right, to put the uh, the Cardinals back into that one. But it's uh, but I'll tell you what, you know, you've got a weapon for the foreseeable future if Kyler Murray can stay healthy. I guess health now a question for, for the Cardinals here in the next few weeks. It's going to be a great battle um, for a couple of years to come to see when and if Kyler Murray can essentially take a torch from Russell Wilson as far as the NFC East is concerned, uh, NFC West is concerned. And I think some people, myself included, that, wow, this could be the game. Brock Hewitt spoke to us yesterday morning before it going, you know, Russell Wilson went in on Sunday nights and, and took on a Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers and they beat him. And those were the steps in the games where everyone started to take notice and go, he has officially arrived. I think for some, a lot of people thought that would have been last night, Murray against Wilson. We saw the shoulder and how much they worked on it, uh, but he wasn't ready for it. The decisions weren't there. And Russell Wilson's not ready to say, hey, we were talking about how has he not won an MVP in the first six weeks of the season? Then he disappears. Not like last night was MVP performance, but it was a reminder that he's one of the best in the game. Yeah, hey, he's still one. He's still one of the best. And you know, here's something else that the Seahawks have going for them. Tom Brady might do themselves a do Seattle assault this weekend, right? Or or Monday night. You got the Rams and yep. the Bucks, right? The Bucks take care of that. Now all of a sudden, Seattle's got a one game lead in the division over both Arizona and the Rams. Like that's a tough that's a tough game for the Rams to try to take care of business against a pretty good Buccaneers team. And are they perfect? No. But the Bucks have looked pretty good for the most part so far this season. All right, 846, some final thoughts before we turn things over to the Scott Rintoul Show coming your way at 9 o'clock right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Now more of the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. 
All right, nine minutes to nine o'clock here on this Friday morning. The Scott Rinchel Show featuring, it's like the all-boss edition here, Pear. Uh, Tom Rennie and the commissioner of the Canadian Football League, Randy Ambrosi, on a day that, uh, according to reports, the CFL is expected to unveil their 2021 schedule sometime today. It's supposed to be a non-traditional. I'm told that it's going to open up February 4th in Regina. No, I'm kidding. Um, Don't make me laugh. It hurts to laugh. Good one. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I was thinking of that. How is it a non-traditional schedule? So what they're su- what they're suggesting, um, according to Arash Madani uh, over here at Sportsnet, uh, saying uh, uh, not a traditional balanced schedule. Teams won't travel to every stadium across the league. Expect two fewer games between East and West teams as well for this upcoming season. So the Grey Cup is still scheduled for November 21st, a year from tomorrow at Tim Hortons Field in Hamilton. So, um, yeah, hopefully get some clarity on that later today. So is that saving travel costs that, you know, all right, we're not going to travel from BC all the way to Toronto and to Montreal and save us the money. I'm trying to figure out what's the difference. Borders aren't an issue. You didn't make any money, I guess. Well, I, no, you're not going to fly in and play the game and fly back out and, and be cheap and save hotel money. But, you know, I, I, yeah, well, I, I think you've seen in years past, like think of, instances where if you were the Lions and maybe you would play a couple of games in the East, you, you know what I yeah, mean? Where you might have a short yeah, week where you play in, you play in Ottawa one weekend and then maybe four days later, you've got your next game and the quick turnaround in Toronto or, or Hamilton for that matter, or Montreal, whatever that may look like, but you save on the going back and forth from a flight standpoint. Yeah, I would take non-traditional as, okay, all of a sudden you're going to play the Stamps, what, three times, four times this year? Which I don't know if it bodes well for, you know, Toronto, Montreal to play four times. We'll see. Well, uh, James, that, that I've, said, I've though, never Bear, been this excited and anticipating a CFL schedule than I am today. In saying that, I mean, we're all amped up <laughs> about your, uh, you know, an all-Canadian division of the National Hockey League. And in the same breath, it's like, eh, do I want to see the Stamps and the Lions go at it four times this year? Um, I don't I mean, want. We shouldn't be piling on the CFL. Division. It's supposed to be the Grey Cup week. End. There you go. Yeah. No. I mean, it's it's unfortunate. I've seen a few people talking about that this week, but uh, they, they got to find a way to get back and playing, and that's priority number one for the Canadian Football League. Um, and priority number one for us is to get on out of here for the weekend, eh? Let's do it. Uh, poll question: Fifty-six percent of you say Bo Horvitz, the thirty-goal scorer. So we'll see if he can keep that up. And this is the anniversary of his first ever goal in a Canucks uniform. Have a great weekend. Stay safe. Let's flatten that curve, people, and we'll talk to you Monday. Same bat time, same bat channel, and hopefully we'll have some hockey to talk about here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.